what was cool for me when I was going through this to try to find your background and your history is a lot of this I've seen from the outside looking in yeah. just following you over the years yeah. right that's, so, that's amazing by the way no, that's, that's a big compliment no it is man it, it, it's, it's been it's been a really, I can't tell you how long I've been watching you yeah but. it's been a really cool journey to watch yeah. my headphones I think just fell out again but um <clears throat> so I want to compliment you on that Thank right you. because it's it's been a a really cool rise to be able to see then to see how you've been able to um, pivot manipulate mm-hmm. all the obstacles yeah. you know because I don't know we'll know more right but I don't yeah. know all of it from the outside but you're like you, I'll see this little skip uh-huh. like oh man I wonder what happened there you know is he is he going to stay in the industry or is he going to be out? Yeah. Right? Because you've, you've been around long enough that you've mm-hmm. seen what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's that jumping mm-hmm. around. So mm-hmm. the staying power is mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I ha- wanted to have you out here, awesome. right? Because that's credibility, yeah. right? Yeah. When you have that staying power for that long a period of time and then walk the walk, yeah. you know, competing in football, then MMA, mm-hmm. bodybuilding and powerlifting mm-hmm. and all that other stuff, and then yeah. go on to coach it all. Yeah. yeah, and the Gen Pop. You know, there's a Gen Pop time in there too. That was that was that that was a pivotal time where I started to realize like everybody's different. Yeah, and I go, man, I got to be able to coach every walk of life. Yeah, but it, it, it comes down to understanding personalities. We can get into that too. Yeah, well. and you got to. So this leads you to a scholarship, correct, for yeah. football? Partial scholarship. Partial yeah. scholarship, and that. So let me get too. let me yeah. go back a little bit. So. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I grew up in, a, in an area in Broward County where it was crime everywhere. So I don't like to say product of your, of your environment, but you kind of get stuck in this lifestyle where you have to be the part, you know, you have to be the tough guy. And for me, I'm living in a predominantly black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I was fighting nonstop. Now, that's no excuse to what I did and how I got to the situation that I had to be in um, in order for me to actually make it one p- the first pivot of my life. And I will never regret. I'll look back and learn. Mm-hmm. So I, I gain wisdom through circumstances, through the situations, and it allows me to understand myself a lot more when I go through these difficult times. So at about 15, 16 years old, uh, playing football, at this point, uh, doing well, I got some scholarship offers. Well, basically, I had colleges looking at me. So we get letters in the mail at this point, and, and everybody who's played football knows. Uh, my freshman year, I got my first letter from Wisconsin. Then it was Rutgers, uh, North Carolina State, Michigan State. So I had a good amount of colleges looking at me at that point. And obviously, your uh, your stature gets uh, – your chest puffs up. It puffs up, right? <laughs> and you start to feel like, okay, I'm the man, right? Yeah. On top of that, I'm still going to school, but I'm, I'm living like these two lifestyles. Like I'm, I'm in the streets, but I'm also playing ball and trying to be this tough guy, have this tough guy mentality and selling drugs and doing all this dumb shit. And then I'm also trying to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. And it was literally like I was like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and like I didn't know if I didn't know if like this was really gonna cause an issue. Cause in my mind, at a young kid, as a young kid, I'm like I'm just doing my thing. I'm making some money. I'm playing ball. I'm doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't have to ask my parents for money. And that was a major thing. Is like I didn't want to ask them for no money because I knew that they didn't have the funds. Mm-hmm. So I would go out there and make it on my own, un- not knowing that it wasn't the best option. Yeah. Right. So I got into some trouble, ended up uh, getting charged with 
well, basically an armed robbery charge with attempted murder. Mm -hmm. The reason why it was- At what age? 16. Okay. And so I ended up one, so backtrack, this is like a long story short. Yeah. So what happened was there were some drug dealers that were basically selling all the drugs in our area. And so for, this is the first time I ever talked about this. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things going on there. Me and one of my best friends um, decided that they weren't going to be on our block anymore. So as a tough guy, mm -hmm. like, you know, we're going to take over our spot. So we set them up. I was the one that altercated everything. Like I, I set it up. I, I was, um, I was the one with the gun and long story short, we ended up robbing them. Ended up hitting them over the head with a uh, with the gun, and um, we ran out of there. Got their drugs. We robbed them for their drugs, not their money, nothing else. But I took their cell phone, so they couldn't call anybody. Mm -hmm. That's where it got sticky. That's where it got interesting. So about two weeks went by, right? And I'm not proud of this, by the way. But two weeks went by, and I remember going to school, and my best friend who always rides the bus with me wasn't there so I'm like that's that's strange because he would have told me he's not going to school right we asked we had uh, practice that day I'm a junior in high school at this point and uh, so I go all right let me call him didn't answer I'm like that's that's strange because we usually talk every day mm -hmm. right so I go to school and um, I'm getting like these side conversations and people are coming up to me like yo man you know your boy got caught he's got he got arrested last night after track practice and I go what I'm like, for what? And he's like, they caught him doing something. It was like a robbery or something like that. So then they called me into the office and they go, you want to tell us anything? And I go, no. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. And he's like, well, we got your boy. And he's like, he's locked up right now. You going to say anything? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So my mother, uh, we had a close relationship, real close. She was in gangs all her life. Grew up in Queens. Grew up in Queens. And she understood the game. The problem was, was that, you know, for me, I had two sides of myself. I was trying to make it in life. But then again, I had this, this pull from the neighborhood, from me trying to be this person that was like my shadow side. And so I called her up and I said, uh, I think I'm in trouble. And I found out that I was on Broward County's most wanted list for like four weeks straight and didn't know this. And um, I had a car at that time. I sold enough drugs that I was able to buy my own car. Mm -hmm. And um, at that point, that day, so when he didn't come to school, I knew that, that something was wrong. Then that day I, I happened to look outside and, and as I'm walking through the uh, parking lot, I go to my last class. In my last class, I have my football coaches there. So I go to his class for my last class. They close the gate where you can leave for all the seniors. They usually they usually have that open. So when they closed the gate, I automatically knew that they were trying to trap me in the, in the school. What do you mean, the football gate or just the school gate? The school in gate in okay, general. I got it. Yeah, yeah. So like, so my football coach was my last teacher. Yeah, I get it for my last class. Yeah. So this 
so I go to his class and he looks at me with like this look of like horror. You know, he's like, he knew that it was over. And I sat down and almost, I felt like everybody knew at that point, right? Everybody was looking at me. Side so what, what are you feeling at this time? I'm just a little nervous, but I'm also like, they have nothing. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm good, but it's like, it's nerve wracking, you know? Um, Cause it was all like hearsay. It wasn't like they caught me doing something, they had cameras or anything like that. The kid that was with the kid that I actually robbed, he ended up telling his parents that we took his cell phone. He didn't end up telling his parents that we took weed from them, right? So the parents were crazy. Like, you know, they called the, call the cops, called the school, everything. So they, I, understandably, right? I would too now at this, mm-hmm. at this time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just me trying to be a tough guy, that caused us the issue. Right, it was more about the cell phones than the weed. Because in my mind, I'm like, I just robbed them for their weed. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had already gave back the kid his phone. Like I yeah. sold it back to him. I sold his own phone yeah. back to him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I get to the class, and then I'm sitting there for a little bit, and then I hear the phone ring, and I get to see my coach go, "Yeah, he's here." And he looks up at me and just looks his head down. You know, turns, uh, hangs up the phone. And within like two seconds later, you know, BSO is knocking at the door and they're like, come on, let's go. And I'm like, all right, you got me, you know, and we're talking like, these are like, uh, we call them Raiders, but they're, they're high level SWAT guys that, mm-hmm. that were coming in. Actually the guys that I work with now, which is amazing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's full circle. And I'll talk about that <laughs> oh, later. Shit. Yeah. And so I, at that point I'm like super respectful. Like, uh, it's their job. I get it. So I'm in there, I'm in the car and I'm like, yo man, so, um, talking to him about, Certain things, like man, you, you really messed up, huh? And I'm like, I guess, you know, I don't know what you guys got, but you know, I'm not, not too sure what's going on. You know, just playing the part or whatever. And so at that point, I'm, I'm 16, about, about to be 17, going into my senior year. It's like one of the most pivotal years in a high school football player's mm-hmm. career. And um, yeah, I'm locked up. I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the detention center as a youth. And usually when you get in trouble as a, as a youth, you go to the detention center, you do your 21 days and you get out of there. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'll do these 21 days. We'll have like, you know, a mini camp, you know, and I'll be out. Fought a couple of times in there. And then by the 21 days, you know, I, uh, they're like, all right, I'm ready to go home. And I, no, you're not going nowhere. Like you got direct filed as an adult. You're going to the county jail. You're going to wait trial. And I go and my heart drop. I'm like, oh shit, it's real. So <laughs> I'm in the, in the, where the detention center is, it's like right down the street from the county jail. So like we're taking the trip there and as I'm driving, I'm just thinking about like, what the hell, you know? And we get to the county jail, you know, they do all the search, you know, bend over all the bullshit. And I get the call, I, I get one phone call and I call my mother and I go, she goes, don't say anything you're going to be fine. We'll figure this out. Right? And then f- all I needed to hear was that. Mm-hmm. So super optimistic at that point. Right? had super, uh, I, I was, I was faithful at that point. And so I'm sitting in there and, and all I kept thinking was like, this isn't me, this isn't it. I'm like, God put me on this planet for a reason. I said, there's gotta be a better way. And I know for a fact that I'm getting out of this situation and I'm putting myself in a better position to be successful. From then on, I've never seen the inside of a jail cell. I've never, never been arrested. 
maybe a couple of tickets here and there, but that's about it. Yeah. And I work with the guys now. So how did this play out? So after okay, that, so, how did it play out? So as we're going through, I'm sitting in the county. Now, I'm in the county jail for about a month now. Yeah. You know, and at that point, funny story, uh, we're in there on the fifth floor. The fifth floor is like juvenile kids, you know, 18, right around that age. And um, these kids were bad as shit, man. Like, you know, flooding the, the, the pod and everything else. And they would shut our stuff down, shut our water off. So, like, shit and piss would be sitting in there for days. And it was a lot. They, they cut the lights on all night long so you couldn't sleep. You know, eating bullshit. Like, food that probably messed our stomachs up worse than ever. You know? And then these guys would want to train so they knew that I worked out a lot they knew that I played football so they'd be like yo how do I do this and I, so I started to put together little workouts with like towels and the bedspread mm-hmm. and, and and partner workouts with your celly and I was like oh man I'm putting together routines so I'm like this is cool so I started putting together routines for the guys that were in there with me eventually uh eventually they couldn't find anything I had a great lawyer uh we ended up they ended up giving us five years probation and like some restitution. Mm-hmm. And also I had to, I had to speak at a couple of uh, events about my situation. But then at that point I got dropped out of high school because they drop you out immediately. So I was doing like a drop-in program inside the county jail. And then I had to go back into another drop-in program once I got out to get back into school. At that point they kicked me out of my high school that I was at. So I'm trying to find a school and I go, there's only two schools that I really want to go to. And it was one school that had just been to uh, States prior, which was Deerfield Beach High School. And so from there, I go, all right, we're looking around for schools. And this, this, this is down the line. So I'm still on probation, yeah. right, as I'm going into high school my senior year. <laughs> At that point, I'm fresh out of county jail going into Deerfield Beach High School. And you would have thought that I came out of like a 10-year stint the way I was walking around, right? I had gold teeth. I had shaved head. I was already fully tattooed. And I would walk around with a chip on my shoulder as the new football guy that came out of jail, right? And I look at it now, and it was funny to me because, like... How was that perceived, though, by they those there? It. They okay. loved it. Yeah, they were like, yo, this new white boy linebacker fresh out of fucking jail, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I had a chip on my shoulder. Like, I had stuff to prove at that point. Mm-hmm. But I also was very humble that I knew that shit could be taken away from me in any moment. So at that point, I, I was humble, but I was also ready. And I was serious because at that point, there was no turning back. At that point, though, all of the colleges just dropped me. So all the universities were gone at that point. I had a few, like, D2s and, and, like, D3 schools looking at me at that point. I'm 5'8", 205. But I could hit. I was all county. And, um, you know, I, I knew the game. Yeah. I was, really, I was really good at that. So as the season goes by, I did really well. Jason Pierre-Paul was on our team. We had um, Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Robinson's on our team. Shoelace played for Michigan play for the NFL so we had a good stacked team that that year Um, we beat one of the best teams in the in the state almost in the country that year too as well did well enough to get a partial scholarship to a division one double a Alabama State University which is an HBCU and uh, stood out there too as well when I left Florida and went to Alabama a culture shock occurred because like I'm coming from South Florida where it's very diverse you go to Alabama and it's like black and white you know, and I'm at HBCU. I'm the only white kid there. 
besides probably the kicker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, the kicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I just I just felt like I was out of place, and I was missing home a lot. At that point, I was getting in fights, like nonstop. Getting in fights with the teammates, getting in fights with people in school, and I was just like, man, I was I would stick it out, but I just wasn't happy. Yeah. You know, I wasn't happy. And at that point, I was getting a lot of concussions, a lot of injuries, because I was, again, I was playing middle linebacker and strong safety, and I was the, the gunner on the kickoff team. So I was busting wedges every day. So 300-pounders lined up, I run straight through them. And obviously, I didn't win all the battles. Mm -hmm. But I was like, kamikaze, just make it happen. You know, bust through the wedge and allow your teammates to make the tackle. And from there, just like it, now it still bothers me. Pinched nerves, mm -hmm. concussions. And my family called me, or my mother called me, and it hit hard. And she goes, man, we have no money. She's like, we are struggling. And I go, at that point, you know, NCAA, at that time, wouldn't allow us to get jobs, no sponsorship, yeah. none of that shit. So we were, I was poor, too. I had nothing. I was broke as shit, broke college student. You know, we'd, we'd get food because we were on partial scholarship, but that was about it. Couldn't go out to, I couldn't go out anywhere. I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't take out anybody on a date. Mm -hmm. So it was just rough. And then on top of that, your family's going through it back at home. So my sister, she's 10 years younger than me. I, I basically helped raise her. She was going through it. She had some issues. So I had this, this push and pull thing going on where I didn't know if I wanted to stay there in Alabama, try to you know ride it out, fight it out, potentially do something, maybe go to Arena League or whatever, or possibly make it to the NFL, or go back home and help my family. And it took me about a week and a half to really like figure out what's the plan of action. And then from there, I think one day I woke up and I was like, let me just do this. I got I to gotta take care of the people that I love. So I went up to my coach, my head coach, and I asked, I was like, listen, like I need, the, I need to leave. Uh, and he's like, what do you mean, for like a weekend? I was like, no, I got I to gotta leave. He's like, my family's going through it. I got to help him. He's like, well, can we help out in any way? I'm like, not if you can give me some money. He's like, well, we can't do that. And I was like, I got to go. So scholarship gone, go back home. Now, at that point, my family moved from Broward County, which is the neighborhood I grew up in, to Port St. Lucie, which is a small little neighborhood. Kind of reminds me of London. And there was nothing there. It was like, at that point, there was nothing there. It, it grew. It, it's grown now. And I was like, man, so my initial, my initial process was going to be, all right, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my degrees that I'm going to get. And then I'll figure it out, right? But at the same time, I still wanted to compete. So I'm a natural competitor. And I was boxing on the off-season in Alabama. So I was doing, like, amateur fights in Alabama, unbeknownst to the NCAA. So I had to go out for an alias name. Yeah. So as I'm doing it, I'm like, I want to box. I want to I fight. Like, I, I feel like... So what's you know, going on with the schooling at this time? So I'm still going to school, Yeah. right? I'm going to Kaiser University finishing up my degree Got it. so now I'm full-time there why did you just uh, with your background with what you're telling me mm -hmm. why to go there why why continue with it because now there's not a partial I know you're, you're gonna go in debt absolutely I am yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because I wanted to finish like hands down I wanted to finish something that I started and it was the only place I could go to allow me to still do all the other things I needed to do. Yeah. So I was training for fights. 
I was sneaking people into Gold's Gym and LA Fitness and training them for $20 a session. I would go to school from an extended amount of time. But because of the system there, I was able to like make sure that I had everything scheduled out. So my day started out as soon as I got to Port St. Lucie. I signed up at American Top Team Port St. Lucie with Dean Thomas. And I was like, man, I want to fight. He was like, cool, go come to the class. And then he transitioned me out of boxing and went right into MMA because I knew that MMA was on the on the on the rise. Yeah. So I'm training that and then I'm trying to finish my degree. Now, my days look like okay, four AM wake up. This is in the beginning. I was probably like twenty years old. Wake up at five AM or four AM, uh, train a client at five that was about forty five minutes away from me at Samson's at Tony's gym. Then I would go to school from like eight to one all the way through. Then I would go train myself at about 3 p.m. Then I would train a client at five. Then I would train another night class sparring at like seven, eight o'clock. And then I would do it all over again. And then I would try to get at least two sessions in a week or my bad, two sessions in a day of MMA because I was an amateur now competing. That kind of went all the way through until about 21 years old when I turned pro. I finally got my degree from Kaiser, finished that off, so I was good there. So notching my belt, boom. Now I'm like, I need to make more money because I'm broke again. And only thing I know how to do is hustle. So at that time, I'm like, all right, let me go to these gyms. Let me go to these local gyms. Let me go to LA Fitness. Let me go to a local global gym that I can you know, put my resume in and, and just see what I can do. So I went to a gym, it was like a local uh, fitness gym, and I ran one of the lead trainers through a session. He loved it, he was like, it did awesome. They ran a background check. They saw I had a felony charge. They're like, man, we can't take you. So I'm like, fuck, all right, what do I do? So I'm still fighting, not making any money. And at that point, Tony goes, you wanna start training people here? I'm like, absolutely. So I started training people there, making money, um, building my clientele up. At that time, I'm building my clientele up so much that when the rent gets upped, I'm like, why am I here? So then I'm like, I can just open up my own spot, not knowing all the other shit that goes with oh, yeah, yeah, right? You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So I, I like, you know what, I opened up a small spot. At this point, it was like I found an 800 square foot storage closet, $500 a month rent, easy. And I had 12 clients that came with me, and then I started running boot camps. At that same time, I had turned pro. All right, so, so you're, you're fighting. Okay, this, this is where I have this big, like, gap, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where the funnel expands, right? Yep. So yep. you're fighting, you're working with clients in, in one gym still, mm -hmm. right? And then you have your own for the boot camps. Yep. All right. And there's something else in there. The, you're online. You started some online at that point? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So in order for me to build my gym, I had to get heavily, I had to go heavy on social media. Yeah. So I was doing Facebook at the time. There was no Instagram at that point. Yes. So I was doing Facebook heavy. So I was like, I got, I have a, a group page, I have a fan page, or I have a gym page, and I have my own personal page. So I started doing that, and then I opened a YouTube channel because I was like, I need to showcase the training that we're doing you know, on video. Yeah. So I started doing that just to showcase the boot camps, mm -hmm. right? And then it kind of transitioned. Oh, I can show my fights and my training too as well. That's cool. Let's do that. And at this point, it's just like 2011, 2011, 2012. And uh, so I grew that gym. I started with 12 people. The boot camp started to spread because I'm just. 
the way I attacked it. Like I attacked it with so much energy, so much passion that it just grew, you know, and it was, it was authentic. I, I pushed them hard, harder than I would ever do anybody at, at this point now, yeah. not knowing, you know, but I knew that even though these people were regulars, general pop clients, they love to push themselves. They wanted that because they haven't gotten that. And they respected me as what I, as a, as a fighter, as a man, because of what I do on a professional mm-hmm. level. So they were like, man, I'm going to go to this. And I called it battle camp. I didn't call it boot camp. And I called my boot campers Spartans. Or so, I called them, actually, I called them, they were first, they started as a soldier, and then they would, or they would graduate to be a Spartan. So I would have this tier system just like you would in martial mm-hmm. arts. So they'd come in with a white shirt and they'd leave with a black shirt depending on how long they'd been in the system and if they were there consistently. And I would do these Spartan challenges every other month and I would pick three people to compete. And if they passed all the shit that I had them go through, they would become a DFP Spartan. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I opened up the Roof uh, Fitness Performance, DFP for short, and I had the battle camps going on. And it, since it was just a small area, you know, I met my wife there. She was my first 12 clients. Um, co-workers told other co-workers, friends told other friends, family members told other family members, and then I had a big group. At that point, we're, we're six months in, and I had to leave that spot, go to a 1,900-square-foot facility where I was training MMA. He left, Dean left that, left that school. I took it over. He went to another facility, and then from there, we grew out of that spot within another six months. Mm-hmm. The only thing open, though, at that time was an 11,000 square foot uh, warehouse next door to the 1,900 square feet. And that was the only spot I could get. Luckily, I got a good deal on that spot. So I went from 1,900 square feet to 11,000 square feet. I couldn't even fill it out. Yeah. It was a big open area. And um, time went by. I'm about 23, 24 now. So there's two locations at this point. Is that right? There's one location. One location. It just switched. I got it. I just moved the 1900 to 11,000. Yeah, Yeah, it was right next door. Okay. And um, at that point, like, big business now. Like, I'm I'm, I'm blowing up, right? I got over 300 members. Like, I'm doing it. But I had no real business sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't even have QuickBooks at that point. Yeah. I I think I just got a fucking business... uh, business bank account <laughs> like literally yeah. I, was, I was putting I was putting money in shoe boxes when I started mm-hmm. right and I started to understand a little bit more about business about generating a profit making sure that I understand gross and that and everything else but at that point I was running myself into the ground I was training all the classes I was doing all the training sessions with my high school guys I was training my 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 fighters and I was training myself too because now I'm a pro the problem that I had there, though, was, as you can see, my focus was all over the place. Yeah. So something had to give. If my business blew up, my career went down. So I wasn't able to train as much as I could. I wasn't focused on the task, and I would lose fights that I should have won. I lost three straight fights that I damn sure should have won, which was ridiculous to me. Like losing in dumb decisions or do, you know losing off of a, a, a just like a, a submission that I should have got out of. So that, that kind of played a role in figuring out what's my next steps. And then from there, I had to really take a look, look at myself and see what's going to be the end goal for me and look at the vision, big vision overall. At that point, um, I started to delegate a lot of my time you know, to, to other trainers that I had. So now I had trainers working for me. I had seven trainers at that point now running some classes doing their own thing, paying me some rent. 
and I had 11,000 square feet, 300 members, everything was going good. And I was able to focus on my training at that point. Yeah. Which was good. It was gave me it gave me a good three months to really like focus and hone in on the game plan for what my fight was gonna be. Well I have a sense every everything originally was there to to finance your fighting. Yeah. That's how it started, yeah. right? Okay. Yep. All right. So now you're able to do that. Kinda. Yeah, now I'm able to pay people to go train these classes. I'm able yes. to pay for myself to train and I'm living good. Yes. Right. And now at this point I'm also living with my with my girlfriend, who was my girlfriend, my wife now. Um, so now everybody's taken care of. Financially everybody's taken care of. Yeah. At twenty four I'm good. But now I have to get back into fighting. Yeah. So like had a couple of my teammates that I would train that would stay after and I put a cage in my gym to specifically be able to train right after I train other people. So instead of going there, mm -hmm. wasting the time, I would just tell them to come to me. So I had a, had a cage, I had a ring, I had mats, I had everything in there. So I would have guys come in at 11 o'clock at night and we'd train for like three hours. But I was getting training in. I was consistently going. And I ended up winning that last fight and beating the shit out of dude. And it was good because it showed that if I focus on something, obviously, right, it works. Same thing with the business. If I focus on it, it's going to come out successful. So at that point, I'm like, all right, I'm doing well. I have everything in order to focus on the things that I need to focus on. And one training session, my teammate, he comes and we're doing just like tech sparring. I'm two weeks before my, my next fight. Good fight for me. I'm like super confident and uh, hits me in the back of the head. He does like a spinning back kick and his heel comes down right in the back of my head. And I get concussed and I'm like, damn, two weeks out, not a good look. So I finished the training session, but I was still concussed. I was like, man, I'm still not feeling it. All the signs, right? Nausea, dizziness, forgetfulness, all of that. So I went to the neurologist, they ran some tests. And they basically told me at the end of it all, like, if you don't stop by the time you're 50, you're going to have Alzheimer's, you're going to have dementia, whatever. And you're like, you got to stop. And I go, man, you have no idea what you just told me. This is a neurologist. He doesn't mm -hmm. understand. And so it took me like two weeks to really figure it out. Because at that point, I was like, let's just add more shit onto my plate. I'm like, oh, let's go get my PhD now. So mm -hmm. let's drive down to FAU and let's go. And that's another hour and a, hour and a half away. And my, my, my son was just about to be born. So there was a lot going on. And there was a lot of things that I needed to focus on and a lot of things that I needed to pre prepare myself for that I knew that if I were to keep going in this, in this direction, that it could possibly end up very bad for me and my family. So it took me two weeks and I called Dean because he was the only one that I really could talk to for this particular incident. And I go, man, what do you think? And he goes, well, if it was your knee or your back, we can kind of work around it, but it's your brain. You can't really mess with that and when he said that he was like but listen you're a successful business you have a successful business you're a successful businessman you're a good leader there's so many ways that you can make this happen on a different level and I go it's not what I want to hear but you know whatever so I hung up the phone then thought about it and I ended up like making just an announcement that I'm I'm stopping competing like I'm retiring you know whatever and from there, I didn't want anything to do for the first year and a half. I didn't want nothing to do with MMA. I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to train it. I didn't want to do anything. 
So at that point, I fought at 155 pounds. So I now went from 205 to like 178 walking around. And I'm like, man, I got to get bigger. Like, I, I look small. So I was like, how can I get bigger and still compete? And I go, I got it. I'll do bodybuilding. So I started doing bodybuilding. And I, start, I found a coach that was nearby. I was one of my friends. He put me through a bodybuilding show. So I learned all the details on how to like isolate movements and, and just put more focus on the muscle, just like you did. And I go, man, this is really good because this helps me with my coaching. So now I'm learning different levels and different ways to actually get somebody better. So I did that and I focused on that. Nothing else was going on in my life except for the running the business yeah. and focusing on bodybuilding. And it kind of went hand in hand because I just go to the gym, I train, I'd eat my meals and then I'd go home. For six months, I went all in. I watched nothing but bodybuilding uh, YouTube, you know, did nothing but bodybuilding movements ate, slept, drank like a bodybuilder. And so uh, I did well. Did first, I, got, I took first place, I believe, in my division and then uh, second overall, right? Small, small little show, doesn't matter. But I looked the best that I could look, which was really what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I went up, I got up to like 210, dropped it down to like 181, and I was shredded. I was, awesome. was it enough of a distraction to take your brain away from it MMA? Was. It was, because it was nonstop. Yeah. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. It's non-fucking-stop. The worst thing was like, the hardest thing was the diet. Yeah. And at the last minute, the last week, I had to like deplete, and I was just not, I just wasn't depleting. Like, I went, I went four days straight. <laughs> just white fish egg whites and i believe it was asparagus for four days straight three meals a day four three three or four meals a day and i just would not deplete finally had to make the weight class so i did what i knew best cut weight mm -hmm. so i go in the sauna and i looked good on that friday i went to into the sauna and just fucking flattened out because i just cut weight like an idiot you know? yeah but after that, I was like, you know what? This isn't really for me. I didn't really like the whole vibe of it, like standing on stage and doing all that. It was a little bit too um, egotistical in a sense, you know. And I was kind of, and 100% hands down to all those guys that do it, man. I, I got friends that still do bodybuilding. These guys are awesome. But for me, it just wasn't wasn't it. Yeah, when, when I went through it, it was kind of the same thing where respect for the discipline. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's any sport more disciplined because it's 24 Absolutely. seven you but, have to be and, and as an athlete you do have to be egotistical you have to be selfish yeah, yeah. and that, that makes sense for me there was no reward yeah you know like you, for a fight you train for it the was. fight then you win yeah. the fight you're like fuck yeah this is like perfect example so this is when i said i'm not gonna do this again after a fight especially after i, my, I won my last fight the high that you have off of that fight no matter how fucked up you get you know you're you, and usually it's like foot aches you probably kicked an elbow or yeah. like you know your head's <laughs> ringing your jaw hurts maybe your fucking hands are bruised up but you can go out and party because you're on so much of a high mm -hmm. that it's like and you feel like you're the man because it's primal so you go oh i could do this then after the bodybuilding show all day long depleted posing and doing all this shit after the bodybuilding show i wanted to go lay down mm -hmm. i was like i don't want to go anywhere that's when i knew i was like yeah this isn't for me because it wasn't the reward wasn't as big yeah and honestly yes you have to adopt the process and i love the process more than the reward mm -hmm. i think that was the biggest thing it was like that reward sucked and mm -hmm. i was like yeah whatever but that process was cool yeah it showed me a lot it taught me a lot with fighting you get both 
It's like through that process, you're gonna become a tough motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But after the fact, you become the man. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Strength sports is where it's at. Because I was still, I was doing strongman with Tony. And even on off camp, I would do strongman because it's just such a high correlation. Right. There's a lot of transfer from MMA yeah. and strongman and MDLP. That's when I met Mike. He came up to my gym. We had a I had a big strongman community. I had all the guys come in, you know, and so that's when I met Elliot Hulse and all those guys. And yeah. so we, we developed like a Florida strongman community. And I, and I had all the equipment, which was dope. I was the only gym in Florida to have all the strongman equipment, all the, all the implements. Yeah. So we'd run some, we'd run like, you know, we'd run shows in there and then like, it was fun. We had every Saturday was a strongman day. So <clears throat> I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to compete in powerlifting. Yeah. Cause I was like, that's something that I've always wanted to do just from following you and Louie and, and, and seeing everything there. I was like, man, powerlifting is similar from a mindset perspective as a fight. And you know this very well. <laughs> well, kind of. It's, it's like one and done, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah one yeah, and done. Yeah, yeah. And then you get back and you go, okay, yeah. I got to calm down. Now I got to do it again. Yeah. Right? So, but I did, I did see correlation. Yeah. Because overcoming that bar is overcoming the fight. Okay. Right? So now when I see a certain amount of weight on that bar where I know it could probably crush me, it's the same concept and same feel as I get when they close the cage door. So I was like, I was looking for that feeling okay. again. Now at this point, I had figured that I still want to get back into MMA. I want to be a part of it. I miss it. I miss the camaraderie. What brought that back? I I don't remember. I think it was just. I think I watched the fight, and I was like, man, I really miss this shit. And I was doing. I was like, I want to do jujitsu again because I know I could do that without killing myself. So I started doing. I started doing jujitsu, and that's really what happened. I watched the fight, and I was like. I'm gonna get back into it. Not 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 compete, but I want to be a part of it. And I know I can coach these guys. How far how far away was that now? How many years away from? So I was 25. Yeah. So it was only a year. So a year. Yeah. Long, a year. long enough to yeah. create a gap. Yeah. And at that time, I was powerlifting. I was getting yeah. into powerlifting, and um, I I was still I still had the gym, and then I met up with Dean again. And I go, man, listen, can you meet with me? You know, I want to talk to you. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So we met at a coffee shop and <clears throat> I go, listen, I know I've been away, but I want to get back into it. Like, really? He's like, well, you've been doing jujitsu. I'm like, nah, that's not it. I want to get back into MMA. He's like, you can't compete in I was like, no, but I want to coach. It's like, you have anybody? At this point, he was at American Top Team, the headquarters. So now he was a full-time coach there. He had closed the gym down, or at least he sold it to his partner. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, I go, so you have anybody in mind that you would want me to work with? And he goes, you know what? You may be in luck. The, the strength coach that we have is actually leaving. So if you want to bring your resume down, you know, we can, you can test your luck. And I was like, I'll do it today. So I got my resume. I drove down there. It was like 90-minute drive. And as soon as I got there, I met with the strength coach, good guy, uh, super knowledgeable, and uh, just telling him my story, you know, how I fought here. I, I trained here. You know, I would come down Tuesdays and Thursdays and spar with the guys and block KO. And so the coaches knew who I was. And the fighters knew, you know, also. They were like, what are you doing? They didn't know me as a coach. They knew me as a fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember Hector Lombard was the first person that, that greeted me. And obviously Hector, if you guys know who Hector is, like, he's crazy. Like, but he's a good guy. Like, Outside of the training world, he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's like the Mike Tyson of MMA, right? Mm-hmm. And he was at a point at that point in his career where he was like 22, went fight win streak, Bellator champion, big, like stocky, and just killing people, running through guys. So 
his stamp of approval helped me get in there. And then King Mola Wall also loved the training. And then Dustin took to the training. And then Joanna came in and took to the training. And then at that point, they were like, all right, I was going down there for two months not getting paid every day. Well, four days out the week, every day when I had to. And I knew for a fact that this was going to play out in the right direction. As long as I stay the course and I do it the right way and I leverage. And I told my wife, I go, I don't know. This is, I'm taking a big pay cut for sure. I don't know if I can sustain the gym and still come down here and work with these high level guys. I have to be full time. And she goes, well, I trust you. And from that point on, I was like, all right, she gave me a stamp of approval. I feel good now. So I sold the gym. That's like six years of work, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like here because I got a bigger plan. So at that time, I was like, all right, I need a small spot, though, because I still need to do my, my content. And I still had some some personal clients that I yeah. wanted to work with. So I opened up a, sm a spot like right near my house. Super convenient. And I would do that on the days that I wouldn't go down there. So at that point, I'm driving down there four days a week. I'm, I'm training clients three times a week and shooting content up at my spot. And I didn't know what I was doing in the, in the beginning of like content creation, like putting the camera in front of me, just old school with the whiteboard, knocking out some tutorial videos, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, things started to open up. So when I got there, they were in the transition from going into the, to the place that they were in to the 40,000 square foot facility that they were going into. So I, I was in that, that transition phase with them. When I got there, I said, I got about five, I got a five year plan here. I know what I'm gonna do. And so I, I wrote out my goals. I wrote out the vision that I had for myself. I wanted to be trainer of the year you know, for the World MMA Awards. I was like, that was one thing that I wanted because I could see, you know, guys like um, like Mike Dolce win it and all that. I was like, I want that. And I remember telling Dean, like, I want that. He was like, you, why you want that? I was like, because I want it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just want it. And uh, at the time, I was also competing in powerlifting, so I was doing a lot there, you know. But it was it was just because I wanted to. I wanted that was to one of the goals. But what was the vision? The vision overall. Well, yeah, stamp myself as one of the best MMA strength and conditioning okay. coaches in the world. Yes. And and then also work with multiple world champions, and then whatever happens from there happens. Yeah. Now there's a bigger vision, because now there's a next step. So at that point, you know, it's a couple years go by, and you know, I'm winning world titles with my guys, and like. And 100%, man, I'll take nothing from this. Like, I knew for a fact that if I didn't get that opportunity, I don't know where I would be. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm 100% I'm humbled and appreciative of all the opportunities. No doubt about it. It's what you, it's who you know to get you in the door, but it's what you know that keeps you there. And then from there, it's like, how can you stamp your place in this whole, in, in this whole industry? And how am I going to do it appropriately? Well, to rewind back, mm -hmm. I mean, it was... <clears throat> The way I'm looking, I'm trying to relate this to my journey as a power lifter, right? Yeah. So there's, it's my identity yeah. at a certain point in time that I can't do it or decide both, right? Can't and decide, right? So I don't think any of us want to make excuses and say mm -hmm. it was just the concussion or it was just the shoulder. There, there's this accumulation of things. Yeah, definitely. But it's still an identity crisis. Thus, you bodybuild and all this other stuff. Yep. And then you find your way back into it. But mm -hmm. yet it's a it's you're 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 on a balance beam of disaster. Mm -hmm. Right. Because mm -hmm. on one side, you want to be in it yep. right on the other side. You're trying to figure out, can you coach it? Yep. 
So you have to shift your identity in a way. I had to shift my identity my entire life. Yes. Which is maybe a downfall and it's a detriment in a lot of ways, but it's also something that allows me to be adaptive. I don't know how much this was a shift more so than a bend. Like the shift would be bodybuilding. Yeah. Right? That's a big shift. It's a big shift, but you got to think like I learned a lot there. Yeah. But back to MMA is a bend. Yeah. You're still around everything that you love just Mm -hmm. in a different way. Yep. Yep. I think that doing that showed me that I love being a part of the sport. I wanted to help individuals. And at that particular time, around the age of like 27, 28, is where I was like, this is my identity. I'm a coach, and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. At the same time, to better myself as a coach, I still need to be a practitioner. Yeah. So it's the same. So like powerlifting was simple for me to do. Oh yes. As opposed to fighting. Yeah. I can't fight and then coach fighting, you know, which I was doing for a little bit, or at least fighting and coaching strength and conditioning for fighting. Yeah. And I was doing that for a while. And I was like, that it can't be that. It has to be a little bit simpler than that. So powerlifting only took three days out of my week. Do a little bit of accessories here and there. But it was also giving me an understanding of how to lift. Well, there's only a couple motor abilities there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. you, you yeah. step into a ring. Yeah. 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 It's a lot, <laughs> lot easier. <laughs> a lot easier. I had a couple of powerlifters that, that wanted to train with me. I was like... Oh, that's all we got to do. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Usually I'm working with multi-directional movements, yeah. bioenergetic demands, all of that. But So when you start working with the fighters, then you discover that. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's it's not powerlifting. It's not bodybuilding. Yeah. And I get criticized because I say it's the, that's kind of simple training. Mm-hmm. But it's it doesn't mean the discipline's not there. Yeah. But it's not multifaceted. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of uh, variables. Yes. So so now you're all into this, and the variables need to increase. Yeah. Yeah. So your education has to increase around that. Mm-hmm. So where, what was the pursuit then? Yeah. So. I was trying to learn everything, like everything. And I was going to every certification course, every seminar I could get my hands on because I was a one man show now, right? So I needed to learn mobility. I needed to learn how to properly program. I needed to learn how to produce power in different directions. Just a lot of different things, but I also needed to be the physical therapist, the psychologist, the massage therapist, like all these different things because I couldn't, like I could outsource it, but I knew that they wouldn't do that. So I had to adopt a lot of these modalities of training and be competent enough in it to help all the athletes. On top of that, I had to learn about energy systems on a whole nother level. I needed to learn about how, I went through so many different periodization schemes and models of training because of the situation that I was in, where that really showed me how to prioritize, how to schedule, and it helped in my life too as well. Because I knew if I didn't have a proper schedule down, if I didn't have prioritization, if I didn't have focus points, if I didn't have a a standard procedure on how to actually operate, then nothing will go as effective and as successful as it can be. So with that, I was playing around with a bunch of different things. I started with, you know, obviously you start with block. I went with linear for a little bit. I went to tier system. I was doing triphasic on the off camp, but I was like, conjugate has always worked for me. It's always worked for me since I was in high school, in my own career, and now it's gonna work here. 
And the problem, though, that I had was I couldn't stick to a traditional four-day-a-week split because we didn't have enough time. So with that, I started to learn all these things. I was, I was heavily into, like, all the West Side stuff, all of your stuff. And I was like, all right, let's just try this. And I tried it on my best guys, and I tried it on myself. And what I found was that guys were maintaining their adaptations and they were getting better and they weren't delineating all these demands that we were going through because weight cut issues, a bunch of different training modalities that they have to do throughout the days. We just needed to touch everything all at once. We needed to turn the dials on and we needed to turn on the highest of what we're trying to focus on. All right. So for for those practitioners that are strength coaches that are coming up, you know, I'm. I, I, I want to point something out here, right? So you're you're working with uh, the fighters four days a week, and it's taking you an hour and a half, I think you said, just to drive there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so that's four complete days. And then on the other days, you're training clients basically to pay the bills, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And content. Mm-hmm. So now you have to learn all these other things, too, yeah. with the strength and conditioning. Yeah. So how many hours a week are you putting into your craft? Oh, it is. I mean, it's every day. So it was like at least 16, 18 hour days every day. For how long? I mean, it's never stopped. <laughs> it's never stopped. Well, I think I, well, I'm pointing this out because I think this is a big component For that sure. gets missed. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. You know, that this, that's, it, it's nonstop. And you know now being a business owner too as well, it's like it's never ending. Yeah. It's never ending. And you got to love it. If you don't love it, then it's not going to be sustainable. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should know that. I talk to the coaches that I mentor now, and it's like they're engulfed in this shit. They love it. And it's because they, they see the results. They see the, how they can help people and how they can you know, generate successful productivity with the people that they work with, the people that, they, that, that put their trust in them. And that's really what drives you. You got to love to help people. You got to love to There's serve. still a whole lot of this, though, that you don't. Mm-hmm. Right. That just comes with the territory. Yeah. 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 Right. So it's I kind of push back a little bit on you got to love it. You got. Yes. I mean, that's kind of like a given. Right. <laughs> but there's there's a big chunk that I think people avoid doing. Mm-hmm. And that's why they don't succeed. Mm. And that's the part of all this work that they don't like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just the bullshit that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And the 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 financial aspect the paperwork the marketing the advertising the relationship building the networking you know this just well i found that the weaknesses that i have i ended up loving it because it was something that i knew that if i plugged that gap if i made that link in that chain stronger then i would be better what's an example of one business in general yeah right um so my marketing was always on point just because I knew how to gain attention. Yeah. Um, but it was also like the logistics, the analytical side of it, uh, understanding, you know, profit and loss statements, understanding how to, you know, optimally keep a, a higher LTV and making sure that these people stay and sustain and retain. Yeah, for those that don't know, lifetime value. There you go. Well, let's talk about that because they don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So when did that become, when did that come into your Dialogue, mm. And then when did you learn the import? Because this is a big one, man. It is it's- a big one. I mean, you have to be able to sustain your clients. You have to be able to retain your clients. Yes. Like, I've had, I've had fighters for, like, seven, eight years that still are with me. Mm-hmm. And you have to always find a way to keep them interested, keep them progressing, and keep them around. And, and a lot of times, it's just they're just super comfortable with you. Well, do you look at that when you're looking at your acquisition costs? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, like, if I'm going in and I'm trying to acquire... 
let's say an individual that I know that if we stay for the long term, they're gonna they're gonna succeed, right? And the longer I have them, the better they're gonna be. Mm-hmm. So from the start, when I bring on an individual, now that could be from marketing, that could be from word of mouth, that could be from another friend, whatever, or that could be from them following me on on Instagram, right? I bring them in, I sit them down for at least 90 minutes, and we vet out everything. We go over all their their insecurities, we go over all their challenges, we go over all their goals, their aspirations, everything. What do some of those questions look like? Just like, you know, what's your true purpose? Like, I peel back the layers. How do you, okay, so say you ask that to me and I'm an athlete, like, to fucking win, dude. No, 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 no. So then I go, why do you want to win? Because I do, it's all I've ever done, right? Yeah, yeah, so like, do you find yourself as an, that's your identity is to be a winner? Oh yeah. So that right there gives me the understanding of how I need to push you. So that's interesting. Because I know that your level of success is gonna be dictated off of how well you train and your effort that you put in. And when you suck and when you don't wanna come in the gym, I say, don't you wanna be a winner? What happened? What other answers are they gonna give though? There's a lot, there's a lot. Okay. Because you go back to like family. Because with fighters it's different, right? There's There's a different level like, because when you're fighting, you're fighting for money, you're fighting for fame, you're fighting ah, for the title. Okay. There's a lot of different variables. There. So they could be doing it just for their family. Yeah, a lot of times. To pay the bills. A lot of times, yeah, yeah. Some guys have those aspirations, like I want to be a world champion, I want to be the most known. And I have young kids that come to me, they want that. Okay. Know? They don't have families yet. But it transitions, and then you have to have that... You have to have another meeting with them throughout their career and be like, what has changed? You have family now, you have kids now, right? What what has changed? What is your purpose now? And, and I've seen it with a lot of high level guys. They're like, I used to be, want to be a world champion. I used to want to have millions of dollars. Now I just want to take care of my family. Now I just want to be around for my family, you know? So I have to make the right decisions, training wise, schedule wise, you know, making sure that I'm there for them and things change. Yeah. And that's how you retain because now you can move and adapt with the times. Okay. So it's when that changes because you you're working with a lot, right? So I guess we should define how you work. You have people you work with on online, then you have people that you work with in person, yeah, right. But the the do I want to use the word the base template of your philosophy, which we'll get into here in a minute. Your training philosophy is still going to kind of be the same, but it's going to have to you know be molded yeah, yeah, yeah. with with each person because you can't have like different philosophies for every single person yeah, yeah. you wouldn't grow doing that either yeah mm-hmm. uh, so how i guess before i ask this question what is that base philosophy if i was mm-hmm. to say what is your base training philosophy at this point at this point is is really the people that I have now is like longevity, like how well are they going to be able to sustain throughout their career? And then what are they going to do after that career? So I have to work at, I have to work on getting them to be better movers, getting them to feel better, recover better, understand how to take care of their bodies in and out of the gym. And then from there, it's like a holistic approach where I can dictate not only their training, but also their recovery. And that's a big thing. With any coach, you should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so my philosophy is longevity in a lot of ways. And how do I do that? Well, we give them what they need, right? We find out exactly from an assessment standpoint, from a, you know, when I have my consultations with them, I'm actually finding out discrepancies, compensation patterns, all of that that comes into play. That's the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Then I go, well, what's going to be the lowest hanging fruit that we can get off of right now, right? And then from there, it's like, 
funneling in all these different demands of training, funneling in these methods of, tra of training that is going to give them the best result, not just for the short term, but for the long term. And that's how we build long term value. That's how we build success. Yeah. So what are the metrics mm -hmm. that you would use? Right. So mm -hmm. as a business, you got certain metrics sure. to, be able to grow the business and yeah. with your athletes, you have certain metrics mm -hmm. to measure. Are they moving closer or further away from their goal? Yeah, it depends on the person. Like yeah. their limitations are going to be based upon that. So if I have like, let's say they're limited by their conditioning, right? yeah. we're going to do something where we get to see exactly like we can run a standard VO2 max test, a lactate threshold test, all of that. That's going to give us an understanding of where they're at. But if I want to see exactly what's going on, what their limitations are from a bioenergetic demand standpoint, I'll pop on what we call a NEARS device, which is a, we use a MOXIE, whereas like it's near infrared spectroscopy, which is basically near infrared light that you can put on, on the muscle itself. And as they go to test, like let's say we throw them on an assault bike, we can do a two minute ramp up test and I can see exactly through blood flow trends throughout the monitors in real time on if they are utilizing oxygen appropriately, are they delivering that oxygen appropriately, and how is their respiratory rate limiting that factor? So now, okay, their limitations, maybe they're a high power guy, they're very good at utilizing oxygen, but they can't deliver it, right? So now they're taking money out the bank, but they can't, mm -hmm. they can't put it back in, right? So now they're going bankrupt. And then you got the guys that are very methodical, maybe come from more of an endurance-based sport, they can deliver oxygen, but they're not as efficient in utilizing it. So now we need to get them stronger. We need to get more muscle activation going. We need to get them in the weight room where the guys that come like, you know, I got guys like Tyron Woodley or, or somebody that's highly powerful. We want to give them the ability to close that gap of their limitations. And we do that depending on where they're at in camp too as well. So if they're off camp, we're gonna work on their limitations. We're gonna fill those gaps. When they're in camp, I still wanna work on their compensators because that's their game plan. So we gotta improve on the things that they're great at too as well just because we know that that's what they're gonna fall back to. So we just improve on their ability to repeat power over time. What other items would be, let's say you just bring them on, right? So it's, it's an intake form, you know, yeah. assessment that yep. maybe a week or whatever is going to take for everything. It takes about a week and yeah. a half, two weeks. What other items are on that? View, uh, I like to do a velocity-based training test just to see how well they're moving certain bar speeds and doing things in that fashion. What do you use for that? Uh, my, we use a gym aware and a flex device. Okay. So a velocity-based trainer. Um, kind of like a Tendo, yeah. right? And it's a linear transducer, so it'll show us, uh, it'll show us max velocity and max power output. Okay. It'll also show us mean velocity too as well. Yes. But what I'm doing there is I'm actually seeing, I can dictate the 1RMs based on where they're, what other velocities that they're producing at whatever weight. So instead of putting them through a one rep max test, I can go to 3.0 meters per second, shut it down, and then I can dictate where their 1RM is. Then I can structure out the percentages from there. Okay. Yeah. What other what other assessments? Uh, we do a reactive strength index. We'll do a... What is that? So basically, I'm trying to see if they're more powerful than they are strong. Yes. Right? And you can use a jump mat for that. We also like to use a force plate to see how well they're producing force from a static position, whether that be a mid-thigh pull or something along the lines of that. Just for triple extension, we found that that has high correlation. The USCPI does that too as well. Um, and that, you can use a force plate. You could use a crane scale if you don't have the money to do that. Um, and I also look to, I like to look at body metrics. So we'll use a DEXA scan or we'll use a bod pod or something along the lines of that just to see where they're at body fat percentage wise. And then also I like to see their bone density, their bone mineral 
density. Usually, fighters, football players, they have the highest bone density out of every athlete because they're constantly hitting their bodies, right? Um, and then also the strength training helps that too as well. But if they have low bone density, that also gives me the understanding of what I need to put in their diet, you know, and also how susceptible they are to injury. Yes. So that's going to dictate the training. That's going to dictate the diet. That's going to, with the with the DEXA scan, also shows us body fat percentage. That's also going to dictate their diet for that too as well. Because it's all about, all right, we got to make sure that also you can step on the scale and make the weight yeah. after the eight weeks. So that's also inside of everything. Luckily, now I have a weight cut specialist, a nutritionist on hand. I used to have to do that on my own. Yes. But now I have those people that I can just relay over to and be like, all right, this is what we have. You know, but those are some of the metrics that we use. Standard box jump would be an easy one to do. Broad jump is an easy one to do. We do a lateral version, a bilateral version, a unilateral version too as well, going forward and sideways. Yes. Right? Usually with the fighters, they have more, they have higher levels of lateral force displacement than they do going linear, which is makes sense because we're always in that lateral force, you know, in that pretty much that frontal plane motion. All right. So now if it's if it's not a fighter, they're running through those same intake metrics, mm -hmm. right? I would assume. Yeah, this is this is after I sit them down for 90 minutes and go through a full-on interview with them. Yes. Because I'm trying to figure out personalities, too, as well. Well, through that full-on interview, can you... Are there people that you just won't work with because of things that you'll pick up through that? Yeah, exactly. I've, I've turned people down, turned people away, or I've given people to other coaches that I knew that would be a better fit for them. Yes. You know? And for you personally, what are some of the red flags? Really, it's just they have to have a higher purpose in my mind, right? They have to have a level of understanding of who they are and why they're here as opposed to just being like, I don't know, I just think fighting is cool. Yeah. You know, I just want to be the tough guy because it's not sustainable and I'm looking for sustainability. So if I know that it's it's not going to happen from the start, they won't even be a part of the gym. They won't be a part of the strong at all. Mm -hmm. Right. If they are highly driven, they don't even have to be the best athlete. I don't even want them to be the best, best athlete because I'll make them a better athlete. But they just have to have the ability. They have to have that dog in them. They got to love to fight and they have to know what it takes to get there. And they have to have the vision and they have to love the process in that time. They don't necessarily have to know exactly what they want, but they need to be able to understand that they need to put the effort in to do so. Because I can guide them as much as possible. And as we go through the years of us training, they'll figure it out, especially if they're young guys. Nowadays, I have more of the elite veterans. So they're, they're different than the, the 20-year-olds, right? If you're 30s, 40s even, you know, everything changes. You know, now it's like, all right, I want to I wanna stamp my legacy in the sport. I want to be able to do things outside of the sport. I want to, you know, put together businesses. I want to do non-for-profits. There's a lot of things that go outside of that that I help them out with too as well. Content production, things on that side where I can, you know, guide them in the right direction and, and let them leverage what they've gained over their entire career. Okay, let's go down some of those rabbit holes after we take a bathroom break real quick and we'll be back. I got a piss like a racehorse. All right, so where I wanted to go is we were kind of with the training philosophy. You're talking about the different athletes and how the, some of them you're working with now. It's more about longevity. Yeah. And you're, you're helping mentor more just in the training, more than just the training sense. Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, I want to back up a little bit and talk about 
as I was going through some of your content the other day, trying to pick up where your training, global training philosophy is. Gotcha. The um, condensed conjugate came yeah. up a few times. Do you still kind of work from that? I, I started that. It's yeah. funny because I saw I saw a. Uh, you definitely yeah you definitely framed it. Yeah, you know? I started. I, well, like, well, what the thing was like, I was gonna call it like compressed conjugate, but I was like, that sounds like depressed, and yeah. I was like, I don't really want to do that. You still work from that model, I though. Do. I so do. what is that? So basically, it's taking either you know from the four day a week split yeah. down to a two or three day a week split. That's all it really is, and we're condensing it. We're doing dynamic effort and max effort, but we're breaking it up into sides of the body. So upper body dynamic effort, lower body max effort or heavy efforts, and then we would go 72 hours later. If it's a two day split, we just switch it. And there's just two two training days per week for MMA guys yes, yeah, for the yeah, MMA primarily guys. that's all they can handle yes now the three day a week split would be good for my boxers my judokas um, any other sport athletes that are in season two as well we could do a three day a week split if they have the ability from a scheduling standpoint to do so and it, it, it's always about how well they can recover from those what sessions. would the three day look like so the three days a little different so three days is going to be max effort one and two and then the third day is a full body dynamic day and that's going to be primarily on a Saturday okay so to be a Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. All right, so I'm, I'm assuming, but just for the, the, the listeners, the dynamic isn't just the bench or the squat. You're you're putting in Yeah, dynamic. that's what changes it a lot, yes. right? So we work a lot with landmines. Yes. Right, we'll do a lot of rotational component stuff. We'll do a lot of med ball throwing, uh, ballistic style training, a lot of plow metrics. Um, and then I'll go in, I'll do our, our speed work with bands and chains and things of that nature. Usually I'll stick with either four to five dynamic effort exercises and then just re recycle those how long will each one stay in three weeks so three weeks, weeks. so still yeah. the same so three, three week, week yes yeah, so a three week wave yes still the same thing everything's kind of it's all similar to that degree as far as like if we were going through a camp perspective like i start them off on triphasic so yeah. if we have a 12 weeks if we have an off camp we'll do We'll go triphasic two, 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 and that, that'll lead in or bleed into condensed conjugate on the eight weeks out. So now at eight weeks out, now we're working on either maximal effort or heavy efforts on their maximal effort day or their heavy day or their strength day. And if they're three days, you know, three days a week, then we can do, we can, I can start them off almost like a one or five through one type of deal. Where on the first week of that eight weeks, they'll do sets of five and we'll work up to a heavy set of five. Then from there, we'll go to a heavy set of three the next week, then a single, right? Then I'll back them off. I'll deload them. That gets into the second phase of the training, which is more of a peak. Then I'm going into contrast work with that. So I'll either do French contrast or I'll do some potentiation clusters going into the fight itself because now the speed of the sport is really important. Yeah. So for for the max effort day, would your ISOs fall on that day? It can, yeah. Or yeah, would it's it? All is it, is the it the max effort exercise, though, or is it a sec? Would that isometric movement yes, be, be the max effort yes, thing? Exactly. Because okay. max yes. force. Yes. Right. So yes. if I have a guy that I know that isn't quote unquote qualified to be in the weight room like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't have the intramuscular, intermuscular coordination to produce that amount of force with that amount of load, right? And just shit goes crazy. I'll give them the best opportunity to get the adaptation. So I'll do an overcoming isometric and max force production at a mini max and let them go after it. Plus, it reduces the risk of injury. They're getting close to the fight, so I have to make sure that we don't mess them up on that front. Then I can take that. Let's say they do those maximal effort isometrics, overcoming isometrics. 
I can transition that into the contrast work too as well. So instead of going 85, 90, 95, 100%, I can have them go all out on an isometric, take them off of that, go right into a dynamic movement so that we can get that potentiation and explosive power built in. And we will do that, you know, roughly around four weeks out. Now, how will this change based upon where they fall on that strength speed index? Mm-hmm. So if a guy's stronger than they are fast, yeah. like, I would say an example for you, you're more powerful than you are strong. From yeah, what I've remembered, yeah, 100%. Right? So our goal would be to let's get him more in those isometric, those maximal isometrics, or we'll go over, or we can go strength speed with a large amount of band tension at the top or at a mini max, wherever we want to go with it. And I can dictate wherever I feel is necessary. One, that correlates over to their game plan, or two, just where they're weakest at. Mm -hmm. So that I can just make sure that we're filling the gaps. The goal for us as a fighter is like to always be strong in any position at any point in the fight. So it doesn't matter what it is. It's not about the exercise, it's about the method of it, and it's also about making sure that you get the intent down. Yeah, so that brings me to the next thing, which would be the the end range conditioning training. Mm -hmm. You know, so how does that, how do you incorporate that in? So if I have the time with them, I would have them do, usually it's concurrent. So because we don't have a large amount of time. Yeah. So what I'll do is the conditioning is going to be dictated on what they're doing inside the weight room. So the time frames are the same, right? So we don't throw the organism in two different yeah. directions, right? So we're not going aerobic work or we're not going, you know, cardiac output stuff and then doing maximal effort stuff. What we want to do is we want to create an occlusion trend. So like I'm still trying to maximize utilization training at the end point of our condensed conjugate work. So Let's say, for instance, you go through a day one, eight weeks out, they went through heavy efforts or max effort or isometrics, and they did their dynamic effort. Whatever we do on the maximal effort side, whether it's lower or upper, that's going to be dictated on the accessories, the supplemental, and then whatever we're doing for cardio. So the dynamic work is just dynamic work for the upper body or just dynamic work for the lower body. Mm -hmm. Everything else I leave the same. I leave out. Yeah, got it. So... Because really, I just want to work fast to slow. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I want to work on repeated efforts. So if I'm doing conditioning in a concurrent model, I want to make sure that I'm going repeated efforts, explosive power work, but repeated for time because that's the fight game. Mm-hmm. It's repeated efforts for a longer duration and how well you can produce power and force for that long duration of time. All right. So when we're, I think, what was it? Because as I go through, the names of things change over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, functional range conditioning, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's so mobility. That, that's the mobility. Yeah, so where, mobility. where's that fitting that fits in, in there? That fits in either on the off days, right, to enhance movement quality, or we can throw that in. I actually did it today. We can throw that in on the dynamic warm-up. So just doing simple controlled articular rotations, just flossing out the joint capsule. Yeah. That was one of the things when we talked about like, you know, um, learning more and getting more in depth on, you know, being able to understand what my athletes actually need. I found that out to be the limiting factor out of everything. It was an overarching issue. Whereas like they couldn't get in certain positions because they were so used to being in fixed positions all the time. Mm-hmm. So in order for me, and I, and I talked about this with uh with joe on his podcast and i said at at that point in time where i was working with frankie edgar i was like man he's fast he's strong he's conditioned but he had his mobility shit so his energy output is limited 
based on his his mobility because he's getting occlusion he's he's not able to go in full ranges so then he's he's struggling he's straining and that could that could negatively affect your efforts that can negatively affect oh, yeah. energy output so increasing range of motion not only was it reducing the risk of injury it was increasing performance as a whole and then from there they're able to get into positions and get stronger in those positions so if we increase mobility we increase range of motion we increase range of motion we can get them in fixed positions or in other positions to get them stronger in and because we're in MMA or any fight sport or any sport in general we want to be strong in any position so that one we reduce the risk of that injury happening and two we can be powerful produce force so on and so forth now how are you measuring this range of motion honestly you I mean you can use a gynomometer you can use yeah. things to like but measure, I mean measure. are you as a coach I'm not, just I'm not, eyeballing it. I'm gonna be honest with you yeah like I go by feel okay like, I go by how they're feeling inside of their training yep. and how they're looking when they actually go through the motion got it so like you can do a standard like fms or yeah, something no, like it, that yeah. but i do what's like a functional range assessment so like i'll take them back through those controlled articular rotations and if i don't see if i see limited compensation then we're on the right track if they feel like they can flow through different movements better without sticking points and without having to speed yeah. through a motion that's a that's an increase that's a progression okay that's 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 the point that i'm want you to articulate right because mm -hmm. a lot of these things you have the the original metrics that you're going to measure <clears throat> then you'll come back and you may hit those in the off season preseason wherever you have the, the markers for that but then every day you're working with the athlete you're you're looking at those metrics yeah right mm -hmm. so you're looking at the force like mm -hmm. what's it look like mm -hmm. Right, and this is where the experience part comes in. It does, yeah. And um, if you're, it's hard to dictate, like you have to develop the coach's eye. Yes. Right. So, like for the most part, with new coaches, I say throw them on a VBT monitor and keep that rolling every six weeks, so that you can see exactly how well we're producing force, high velocities with that certain around, uh, amount of weight that's on the yeah. bar. That can be good for guys that need to develop their coach's eye. Right. I remember Louis saying that he didn't even need anything after that. Like he, he knew exactly what type of band tension you needed. Yeah. What you know everything, and. That, that's the same with me. Like I can hear how fast the bar is moving from across the gym yeah. and know that I need to, you need to take the weight off. You need to put some more on. Yeah. So if you're mentoring coaches or you're mm -hmm. coaching coaches, which is yeah. kind of where you're at now, yeah. how do you teach that? Mm -hmm. So I tell them, use the metrics yeah, yeah, that you have. Yeah. Use, the, use the technology. Honestly, use the technology. Understand the athlete. Do it yourself too yeah. as well because you got to feel it. Yeah. Right, and then you can start to develop like as you go through your experiences, and you're seeing so many guys run through it, and girls run through that particular motion. You can be like, yeah, that needs to go up, that needs to go down, and then you use the numbers based upon percentages and based upon your velocities. You can see, all right, if I throw on ten more pounds, this is the this is the velocity that we're gonna get. If I take off five more pounds, this is the velocity that we're gonna get. I know that by experience. It just yeah. takes time. Yeah. yeah. So it's by using the testing and watching yeah. and, and paying attention. Paying attention. You'll find the correlation. For sure. And you gotta wanna pay attention. And and, and again, you gotta track the metrics. It's like if you don't yeah. if you if you don't measure it or you know what I'm saying, it's hard to measure it when you don't have those metrics. Yes. Yeah. Now breathing's another thing mm -hmm. that came up in some of the conversations that you were having. Yeah. Nasal breathing, some of the other breathing as far as the conditioning goes. That was another big issue. So we talked about like what I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how to be efficient with breathing because I found that there was a respiratory issue going on when we based when we tested the limitations. So as a respiratory limitation, that's usually a biomechanical issue or that's a postural issue. And that makes sense because they're highly kyphotic. A lot of these guys are always drawn forward. Yeah. 
even every athlete has an anterior pelvic tilt to move for the most they have that so we have to develop a better postural alignment and be able to breathe through the diaphragm effectively one that's going to bring down the stress levels that's going to bring down yeah. your, you know bring you to a parasympathetic state but on top of that your mouth is closed you're not your jaw is not open not not loose so now less chance of getting knocked out i know that sounds crazy but it does work close your mouth breathe in through your nose it calms down the body and the major issue that we have with a lot of fighters, they can be in so much, they can be in the greatest condition possible. They can be in the sparring room, they can be in their training room killing guys. They get out in the fight and they're around fans and the lights are on and the TVs are rolling and they shit the bed and they gas out because of anxiety. So they have to learn how to bring it back to their breath focus on the breath focus on the task as opposed to the outside distraction and that's another thing that i use from a meditative standpoint breathing mechanics and just focusing on nasal breathing because that's the more functional way to breathe right on top of that we want to breathe in and blow out as much co2 as possible if that gets trapped in there you know the negative byproducts if i get that acidity is going to build up and then i'm for shit at that point. Yeah. You see what I mean? So it's, how are you cueing this for them? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of my guys have deviated septums. So they can't really, huh. you know what I mean? So they can't huh. really breathe through that. Huh. So there's things that I'll do to have them the ability, or give them the ability to cope with air hunger. So we'll do maximal breath holds and we'll do that for time or we'll do that for paces. So in the beginning of training, we'll go, uh, normal breath in, normal breath out. I got this one from Oxygen Advantage. And I read their whole book and then I took their course. Right? Patrick McCune is the guy that, that took the course. He got this from the Buteco method. And Buteco was, if I'm not mistaken, he was a, I believe he was a clinician that helped heal, you know, per se, I guess they said, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, asthma patients like 60 different asthma patients by just doing these nasal breathing pra uh, practices and breath hold practices so i started doing it with the fighters and i looked at certain studies and i found that you can increase vo2 max by a standard amount of time 90 minutes is like the cutoff point by about five to ten percent which is a huge percentage of vo2 max you can't it's very hard to increase your vo2 max and this was done with high level sprinters and what they did was they would have them nasal breathe and maximally run at a sprinting pace as they're holding their breath throughout the sprint, right? And then they would repeat that over for a sustainable amount of time. What I decided to do when I took this from Patrick was a normal breath in, normal breath out, hold the nose, close the airway, and walk for paces. A normal pace that you want to have generally is around 60 paces, somewhere around there. That's a good starting point. When I started with some of the guys, they could barely get past like 20 paces. So that means to me that they can't cope with air hunger. They can't cope with that CO2 buildup. Now, through time, they were able psychologically, physiologically to cope after we did this for weeks on end. And you could see the progressions. It was like constant and instant where like the next week was like, you know, it went from 20 steps to 25 to 30 to 38 to 40. I had one of my UFC guys get from 60 and I had to stop him. I had to shut him down at 160, 160 paces, because at that point, 
it's like a diminishing return. Yeah. Now you're coping with CO2 too much, and now yeah. you don't feel the need to breathe, yeah. which is not good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So, yeah, there's a diminishing return there, but we want to get them in that 60 to 80 paces range. And then from there, that teaches them how to breathe effectively, catch their breath after they are short of breath. And then, again, you're building up that ability to cope with not having enough air. Mm-hmm. When going back to... What we were talking about before we took the break is helping them with building next phases, you know, after they're done. How do they come to you or do you have to bring that up? How does that conversation begin? As in as As far as uh, leveraging their fighting ability. Oh, okay. So taking taking it into more of a business business or whatever it's going to be. So I look at I look at where their credibility is. I look at their notoriety. I'm looking at how well they've done in the sport. I'm looking at their skill set. I'm looking at their ability to articulate words. And usually if you're at a high level, you're articulate, you're witty, you've been doing this for a while. You've been interviewed a lot, you know, so you know how to, you know, coordinate your words appropriately. And so that's gonna help you be good on camera. So then I look at that and I go, well, here, why don't we do a tutorial video on you showing a certain exercise? Uh, what's his name? Um, Wonder Boy Thompson does it really well. He's, he's, he's a YouTuber now. Like, I don't want to say that, but he is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a content creator. And he's able to articulate his words appropriately because he's doing the things that he's always done his entire life. So it's very simple, easy to do when you're an expert in it, when you're a master at the craft. So now there's no... Uh, uh, but and mm-hmm. there's no freezing points when you're talking to the camera because you're acting as if you're teaching somebody your moves that you've been doing for 20 years. So I look at that and then I go, well, how can we leverage what you have here? Because you're you're an elite UFC fighter that has that on their resume. Anything that you do from here on out, even if you fought twice in the promotion, you're still a UFC veteran. They they label you as such. Then I look at personalities, like are they introverted, are they extroverted, do they have extroverted tendencies, can they get out into a crowd and turn it on, because some of those guys do, a lot of them are introverted at heart, and me too, and, and mm. I'm pretty sure you have that same way, like I can be by myself, but I can turn it on when I'm in, when, when I'm in a crowd, I can speak to you one on one very comfortably, but I can also speak to hundreds, mm. you see what I'm saying, or thousands even. Mm. And you got to have that understanding. You got to know who you are. I use the big five model to understand that. So I'll take them through that personality trait test. What is that? So it's, it's five different personality traits. And I got this one from Jordan Peterson, but it, it's, a, it's a psychological, it's a clinical psychologist uh, way of understanding people primarily. Um, it's, it's conscientiousness, openness, awareness, extroversion, and neuroticism. These five traits, usually everybody has, and some of them are hybrid. You know, you're going to have extrovert, introverted tendencies yeah. and so on and so forth. But when you look at it from a business standpoint, we talked about us being visionaries. As a visionary, as an entrepreneur, you're very open to new ideas. You're very open as an individual. You like to meet new people. You like to set new goals. You have several different visions going on, as you can see from my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Then you have the person that is very conscientious, which is like they like things organized. They like things appropriately scheduled. So those are like your military guys, right? Those are the guys that, or girls, that uh, like to have a schedule, like to know what they're doing and have everything on point. Those are your operators. So if you had a business and you had a partner and you're the visionary, you need to have some type of operating mentality you know, by you so that 
the business can run smoothly because mm. somebody has to pull your ass back and be like nah that ain't a part of what we're trying to do here you know what I mean yeah yeah so and my wife does that very well you know she's like yeah I don't know should probably hold off on that right now. Yeah. You know, and for me, I'm just like, I want to do everything. So those are the people that are conscientious. And those, and those are usually, for the most part, we have some fighters that are like that. You know, the fighters, and there's, you can draw a factor analysis from like big five to the Braverman's test. And then I can find that correlation. And I'll talk about the Braverman's in a minute. But like th that correlation there of how do I need to coach them? What type of personality do they have? What's going to be their career outside of fighting yeah. based on their personality traits? and go from there. Now, the one thing that we don't want to see from a fighting standpoint or any standpoint from an, athletics, from an athletic perspective is we don't want to have an individual that's highly neurotic, that's very emotional. Because if they get too emotional, if they get too neurotic, they can't withstand or they can't overcome the anxiety, right? So those are the fighters that shit to bed when they get, on, get yeah. in the ring or get in the cage or whatever, or get on the basketball court or whatever the case may be. We want to negate that as much as possible by giving them confidence, right? Giving them little wins throughout the entire season or the camp or whatever the case throughout that process of training so that we can increase their confidence. We can increase mm -hmm. their level of security so that they know and they're ready to do work when the time comes. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I was fighting, Dean used to put us in this, in a situation where we would have to cope with this what we were going to have to cope with inside of the fight. So every Saturday before the week before the fight, he would call everybody that joined the gym. He would shut the gym down and then he would make it as if it was a fight. So we would have our walkout music. We'd have people booing us or cheering us on. And then we'd have a referee. We'd have our lights. The lights would be down. And he would put us in that position of having to cope with all these other stresses. Mm -hmm. So now we're in it before we're in it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I always thought that that was something very positive for somebody to do, especially if they're very emotional, if they're very neurotic. And if you can do that and they can cope with that, then you can switch them out of that personality trait and get them more into awareness and get them more open to new opportunities because you got to want to be successful. You got to want to be the best. Like you said, I want to win. So like everything that you do from that perspective, your personality, you know, the way you perform, the way you progress, the way you attack the days is based upon me wanting to be a winner. You, it's not about you not wanting to lose because we have that too as oh, well. Yeah. There's, oh, yeah. there's two different sides of that. And I see fighters that go into fights and they go in there not wanting to lose instead of winning. So they don't attack the situation. Yeah. Like they're not after it to win. They just don't want to look bad. So we have to take that out of that mentality. And so, yeah, finding those things out, I forgot where the fuck I was at, but yeah. No, but it's interesting to me because it's, you know, the the, the five things, the way I was kind of introduced to the five things is going like back to Tony Robbins, right? Which yeah. is um, significance, okay, certainty, mm -hmm. uncertainty, growth, and love, mm -hmm. right? Which can basically be those same things just reframed with different words. Absolutely. Right? To where if you can find somebody's motivated by certainty, yeah. you know, then they're probably not going to do real well mm. is an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? Because, or say customer service, right? Certainty is not going to work really well in customer service. That's yeah. uncertainty, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Somebody yeah. there is going to be driven by uncertainty. Yeah. And they have to be very agreeable. 
Yes, right. Yes. So if you have somebody that works for you that, that that does customer service, they have to be a very agreeable person. But at the same time, you don't want them to be a salesperson. Yes, that's right? a different personality. Yeah. That's a different type of person where the neuroticism is kind of how I would have framed significance, mm-hmm. right? Where they're motivated mostly by significance. Yeah. Right. So, but that person would have to be somebody that needs complimented more. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't bust their balls as hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of course. It's, it's the opposite of uh-huh. that. You know, which is, it's, it's interesting how the, you know, the different, and I'm sure there's other methodologies that fall all within that yeah, same yeah, spectrum, yeah. but I think the important thing is to understand people are motivated by different tendencies mm. and their different skill sets. Yep. You know, and you try to, not that you can't develop one or that it can change over time. Yeah. You know, you can go from somebody that's completely motivated by uncertainty mm-hmm. to certainty with the birth of a child real fucking fast. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. So it, no choice. It, it changes and it changes the way people see those things. Yeah. I, and you're drawing parallels yeah. at this point. So like I talked about the Braverman's test and that that's just measuring neurotransmitter dominance, right? And that could be dopamine dominant, acetylcholine dominant, GABA dominant, serotonin dominant. And I got this, I, intru- I got introduced to this uh, by Charles Poliquin. And he was talking about this Braverman's test. And I was like, man, this is something that could be good to give to the fighters. It's like a 60 questionnaire and there's a lot of in-depth questions in there. So I'll give them that while we do our mm-hmm. assessment. That was something that I would go with to start off. As they're answering the questions, I'm giving them, I'm asking them little questions here and there, not to confuse them for what they're doing. But at that time, I'm actually seeing like how they react to certain questions, like like that or like, <laughs> or like that. Or like, you know, th- little things like that shows me who they are. Yes. So as a dopamine-driven individual, you know it's A-type dominant, like I want to get after it. And those are those people that could be conscientious. They could be ones that are very extroverted. And then you have somebody who's GABA dominant that is very male-mannered, you know, likes to be around a lot of people, likes to be in a team atmosphere. And I, and I ran some tests on certain uh, athletes and like mainly baseball players are more GABA dominant. They like to be in that team atmosphere. They're very... Uh, long-term orientated so like it makes sense because baseball games and seasons are so fucking long Mm -hmm. where like fighters are like just go right there's a mix between acetylcholine and dopamine where acetylcholine the dominance there is like more analytical i want to know exactly what i need to do that falls along the lines of conscientiousness where dopamine can be an open person that just wants to get after it and then you can find out exactly who you want to pair them with inside their group training if you are doing groups and you can also figure out how you want to coach them too as well Mm -hmm. because if they're dopamine dominant it's really like they really don't want to know what this is just show me what i gotta do and i'm gonna go do it yeah you know and go all out how's this all accounted for if you have groups yeah (laughs) it's interesting (laughs) right so it was a time when i was at top team where like i would have eight or nine guys and girls all at different weight classes fighting at different times you know different strength levels, different backgrounds, different times of their career, different age ranges, everything that you could think of. But the one thing that never changed was the skeleton. So I had that skeleton of condensed conjugate. If they were in camp and if they were off camp, they would run triphasic. And so I would group them up in if they were off camp or in camp. And it got better over time. Like I would I would switch out hours, like off camp guys come in this time, yeah. in camp guys. But the problem was that everybody was training at the same time during classes. And then you would have individual sessions going on. So 
my time of training would just it would get ran over right because i'm an after effect at that point right strength and conditioning mm-hmm. is like the, the last thing you need to do so i had to get at one point like i said everybody structured so where i knew exactly what exercises they needed to do what modalities that they were going to train but the methods may remain the same based upon their schedule based upon the situation where they're at inside their camp or off camp so like if let's say for instance one person would be over here doing a split squat the other person would be over here doing a box squat but they may be doing the same method and then and then as far as accessory goes now just based off of their limitations right yes. based off their weaknesses and i'll and i'll look at that off their main lift like we always do so main lift so the the main lift will dictate the supplemental the supplemental will dictate everything else all right so so now let's take say said celebrity then throw him how's that work (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's different yeah so but you still have to kind of bend it around the same philosophies though right yeah yeah i mean for the most part it's like do no harm you know the the yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and then from there i'm looking at it from a holistic approach like i first want to know how well they're able to move right so with timbaland like for the first year he was on the ground i had him moving on the ground because his posture was so messed up he got shot when he was a kid at 19 and he got shot through his face and went through his collarbone and so he has nerve damage all the way down his Mm -hmm. left side so if you see he has a he has a collapsed arch externally rotated and then he really can't fire up his glute as efficiently as he could on the other side so now there's a discrepancy there's a there's a definite asymmetry on top of that he has tight hips he has a posterior pelvic tilt and he has and he's kyphotic so that was all the things that i I was like first of all you're not running you can barely walk so let's get you on the floor first let's start from the basics you know similar like pri stuff for posture restoration or you know d- doing a lot of like Stu mcgill stuff you know and i learned a lot from from Stu, and i learned a lot from duffin on that perspective of like breathing embracing and intra-abdominal pressurization and all of that then also with the frc i combined it all right and then i did a little bit of pri to make sure that breathing mechanics were down and we're stacking the rib cage over the pelvis making sure that everything's working properly you know in time six months later now we're getting him off the ground now he's moving now he's doing you know gate mechanics and and i'm just teaching him how to walk and you know basically march in place in the right ways to distribute his his weight appropriately and get his balance down that took another year so we're going on two years now two and a half and now i'm finally able to put him in positions to where he can go higher dynamics and he can do a little bit more strength work and he can do more conditioning on that higher end where before like i couldn't even imagine him doing a burpee or some shit like that right now you know he can do sit outs and he can do mountain climbers and he can do push-ups and and hindu push-ups and all of that where it's not going to hurt him for one and two it looks good if it if it don't look good i'm not going to do it yeah 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 so like yeah it took a while and then from there we built a rapport because he knew that i wasn't some guy just trying to run him through a workout he knew that i was actually trying to help him from the inside out then on top of that you take it to the next level like what are you eating how are you sleeping are you getting your massages are you you know he has everything at his disposal so yeah i could throw the kitchen sink like i talk to like we're, i'm close with his chef mm-hmm. right i say i want i want him to eat this this and this and i want those macros to be on point he's like all right i got it so he does it for me he all he has to do is do the work mm-hmm. and he's used to that that's fine he can do that because remember he's a record producer yeah so like He's actually used to calling the shots from a producing standpoint. When he has to take a step back, it's almost like an athlete or like a coach taking a step back as being an athlete. So now he likes that fact of, oh, I don't have to think. You could just yeah. just tell me what to do and I'll do it. All right, perfect. So 
it's been good and and like now we're we're transitioning we're like we want to help other people right because he's had a long list of of issues not only injuries but you know he's he's had um issues with drugs and things of that nature he had substance abuse issues where he was taking pain medication and all this other stuff to cope with a lot of stress and a lot of issues that he had in his past and obviously the rock star lifestyle everything else yeah so he's like what if we did and i had this idea where i was like your story can resonate with a lot of people and we can market it to those people that actually need this work not just from a a fat burning perspective or just like a weight loss goal it's like total human optimization like we want to take care of everything Mm -hmm. mindfulness practices you know making sure that you're breathing appropriately making sure that your posture is aligned making sure that you're getting proper mobility your gait mechanics are on point your sleep quality is good your nutrition is on point all these things come into play and then on top of that what gives us the most stress is not having the amount of money this was a stress me my entire life yeah yeah so like financial understanding right having that financial literacy built in so we're using that too to help catapult and help people from a full spectrum like i said it's a holistic approach yes so how when you talk about that financial approach that's through the program that you put out yeah Mm -hmm. and and in that is it go into that more so primarily it's going to be about understanding your financials right making sure that you know how to budget making sure that you know how to organize your portfolio whether you are investment working on investments or you're a businessman you're an entrepreneur and you need to learn how to organize your plan right so with that, we'll bring in some guys that are more financial advisors. I'm obviously not that, right? Yeah, I'm not yeah. fiduciary, none of that shit, so don't, don't take my word. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do know is that when I was younger, I had a budget, right? I, had to, I still have the budget. I got kids. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a wife. I have, I have businesses all over the place. So I know I, I, I'm very good with money. That is one thing. And I'm very good at making money. Mm-hmm. So with those two things, you have to learn how to play defense and you have to learn how to play your offense. With the offense is making the money, with the defense is budgeting out what you need, making sure your percentages are on point and your gross profit margins are where they need to be. So like learning that, going into deep detail. Now we can go as deep as we want based upon you know who we have and the individuals I put in place to help them. That's another aspect of the actual program. As of right now though, however, we're just working on getting their fitness in order because we know if they get, we get them moving, their mentality is gonna change. And every time we go into an uh, exercise or a workout, creativity starts to increase, right? Endorphins are rushing, you get that dopamine rush, and now, oh shit, I knew what I needed to do here. Oh, I got this plan for this, you know? And so for him, he's like, this is something that I need. And this is something that everybody needs in order to level up their life. But if you don't do that, if you're not moving appropriately, like if you're not moving at all, yeah. that's an issue, right? You have to get up and move. It's just your brain functions better, right? Your energies are, are more aware, like you know where you're at. And then from there, things start popping into place. And you're like, oh, I remember I had this idea. Or, you know, you're forgetting something and now it popped into your memory bank. And now you can go into to whatever you're trying to do and attack it. And that's the goal. It's like every time I do a seminar, I'm, I'm up shadow boxing before I go on. You know, I'm, I'm trying to move my body so that I can be in a flow state and I can keep my th- I can keep things rolling and articulate the, the things that I need to articulate so I can help people. Yes. But it starts with getting in motion. So you said four kids? I got three. Three. Yeah. Right? I, got, I got three kids and then I got kids I take care of at the gym. Yeah. Okay. So when with staying on this topic, while I, I don't know if the word balance is the right word, you, you have, you're doing multiple things again, you know, yeah, all at yeah. the same time yeah. where how do you manage 
all that. Well, now I have a team. Yes. So that's the greatest thing is like the one thing I've been able to do and understanding through my past experiences is I can't do it alone. You know, and you have to develop a solid team. And that's always going to be something that you change and direct and, and navigate through and adapt to. And for me, it's like it's never going to be perfect, but I need it to be optimal. Right. I need it to be right on point so that I can do what I need to do, what I can focus on, what I need to focus on. And I don't have to worry about those other things because I was trying to micromanage everything that was in my world. Now I can delegate. I can give them autonomy and let them handle the things that they need to handle on a smaller scale. I'll take care of the big shit. Mm -hmm. Take care of the small stuff. Take care of the logistics. And then for me, I'll make sure that we get the big deals done. I'll make sure that the fighters are on point. I'll make sure that, you know, the programming is set to where I need it. And I can coach you guys on actually taking this over so that I can worry about acquiring these new talent, this new talent, or acquiring these new sponsorships and so on and so forth. It's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> absolutely. What were some of the pitfalls you ran into yeah, trying to put that together? It's just finding the talent, you know, and, and trying to vet people out and really you know, being a good judge of character. There's a lot of times you don't have that, you know, and, and for me, I don't think, and I was just talking about this with them, is like, my wife's a way better judge of character than me. You know, I, I kind of give everybody the benefit of the doubt for the most part, and that's a problem. So you're going off character or skills? Um, both, both. I mean, they could be highly skillful and be an asshole. Yeah. Then you're like, well, we gotta weigh this out. Do I wanna be around this motherfucker? Or yeah. like, you know, do we need to get the job done? They could be shit. You know, have shit skill, but I could teach them, and they're a good person, they're loyal. I could work with that. Yeah. You know, I'd rather have that than than. That's where I was asking. That's where I, my hair. I pull out my hair all the time. Yeah. But at the same time, I know like, yo, this person's loyal. Yeah. So I know that they're never gonna do me wrong. It's just I gotta I gotta keep teaching them. Yeah. You know, I gotta keep leading, and that's it. You gotta find again a good operator to manage the situation, and you gotta lead by example by going out there doing doing this stuff that mm-hmm. I'm doing here. They all see that when I leave, they know what I'm doing is for them. It's for everybody. It's not for just me, right? Because if I grow, the entire business grows. Yes. You know. Now, are these things that say if you're speaking to with Timberland and he's giving you advice oh, absolutely. on? Absolutely. You know. So, what are the, some of the things that he's told you that same thing? Made a huge like, difference. Yeah, same thing. So it was. He's had to go through the same issues, yes. the same situations, and he, and it's funny because he'll get this look on his face. He'll be like. You go through the same shit I go through. Yeah. He'll be like, you're right. So I go. So if he's going through it, then I'm, I feel okay because he's 50 years old and he's been yeah, through a lot. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he just he just literally tells me to, like, be patient a lot of the times. It's like, be patient. It's going to come. You won't make your, your – he said you – it's funny. Um, so I look at him as a mentor. I look mm-hmm. at you as a mentor. Mm-hmm. I look at Louis as a mentor. And with him, he said that, you know, his mentor, he, he told him basically – he, he was going through these issues and he was like at I think he was like 35 40 years old and he was big time Justin Timberlake stuff was coming out and everything and, he, and Jimmy Iovine who's his mentor said man you won't you just got to stay the course stay the course keep doing what you're doing keep progressing because you won't make your real money until you're 50 and lo and behold he made his real money when he was 50 mm-hmm. so I was like alright I think that being able to be persistent but patient is the main thing. Yeah. And they're, they're two closely correlated issues. Well, again, that's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Right? Of course. Yes. So it's, what, what are other things that he's pointed out, right? Because mm-hmm. if you've been together for two years. I think it's, I think it's paying attention to more detail. Like he's very detail oriented. He'll come in the gym and be like, yo, that ain't right. I don't like that. 
It'll be like, you gotta clean that up, man. You gotta do something about that. And I'll be like, yeah, you're right. It'd be little things, little tiny shit. And then I found out that I become more anal with that because I'm paying more attention. And now everything is spotless. He came in the gym the other day, he's like, you got it, you got it, that looks perfect. So he, he, he gives me the opportunity to be better based off of just him being aware of things that I'm not aware of at times because of just wisdom and knowledge and yeah. experience. Yeah. We'll sit and have conversations for like an hour and a half before we train. You know, and we'll talk about money, we'll talk about business, we'll talk about relationships, we'll talk about, you know, fame and, you know, how that can be a negative and how that can be toxic, you know, and then also how fitness changes life and how adopting this as a as a more positive than a negative. How would he how would he say it's changed his life? So like I said, he, he's an addictive mindset. He has an addictive mindset. So as this is more of a positive addiction for him, it's allowing him to feel better, do better, be more aware of his own, you know, every, every celebrity is going to have their, their issues, right? They're going to be nagging at times because they're used to having things brought to No, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? He catches himself now. He goes, man, that ain't it. That's not how I should act. So I don't know if that's a correlation, but he feels it is. And that's fine with me. As long as, you know, he sees it. Because he's around real people now. Yeah. As opposed to people that just want something from him. So I think that that does play a big role with not just the fitness, but being around people that are just like, all right, man, you're Tim, whatever. Like, we don't look at him as Timbaland, the, you know, multiple Grammy, Grammy yeah. award-winning record producer. Does, does he see or do you see the, the potential that story is just because we live in this fitness strength world yeah. it's been part of our life our entire life mm -hmm. where we live in this world now where a lot of the problems that we see around us can be solved by people just eating better and, and actually exercising i'm not talking powerlifting and all this other shit mm -hmm. but just training yeah but we live in this world where it's like toxic to even fucking talk about it yeah right where He's got a bigger voice, you know, that's going to reach people that just need to fucking exercise. Exactly. And and it would solve so much, you know, as far as anxiety they may have or depression they may have, they feel general well-being, brain fog, all this other kind of stuff. Yep. And we need that, mm -hmm. you know, in this industry, Absolutely. right? Because we're, we're all screaming in a fucking hurricane. It's how I explain it, <laughs> right? Where if you get voices that are not in yeah. that hurricane, just to be able to say, hey, man, you know, if you don't need to look like a bodybuilder or be as strong as a powerlifter or fight like yeah. a fighter. Yeah. But getting in shape can make a big fucking difference. You can be more creative. Yeah. You, know, you can feel better. Yeah. You can alleviate a lot of health issues, mm -hmm. joint issues, a lot of the problems, mm -hmm. you know, people have. You know, we're in a way being always busy, you know, like like we are, you know, like yeah. personally we both are. Mm -hmm. is, is a kind of a blessing and a curse yeah right it, it, it's a curse because you never feel like you're getting anything fucking done because there's yeah. too many things to do but it's a blessing because you don't have any time to really fucking be depressed about anything <laughs> you got you got shit to do we <laughs> got time we got worry about yeah this yeah yeah there's there, there's too much to do yeah I, i've heard from multiple people that like there's there's some traits that successful people have it's like not they feel like they're not doing enough but they also feel like they're destined for more so there's a, like there's a there's a um 
there's a, a, a push and pull effect, right? There's a tug of war going on with your brain and with your, with your mentality. And so like for me, it's like, if I'm not doing something, I feel restless, right? I, I can't just sit and not do something. Something has to be progressive. Even if I'm watching a movie with my wife, like there has to be something on that I can take from it. Yeah. You know, and every time we watch movies, it's like, all right, what am I learning from this movie? You know, or what am I learning from this documentary? And also, it's obviously spending time with them. So it, I like work. I like the definition of work. Yes. When people think they have a negative connotation of work, like work to me is getting the job done and getting better. So like, and I don't think my wife's going to fucking trip about this, but spending time with my wife is work. But that's because I'm trying to be the best husband I can be. No. Spending, my, spending time with my kids is work. But I'm trying to be the best father I can be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I love work. So it doesn't mean that I don't love them. It actually means that I love them more. One of ways prioritizing. It's a task. It's, it's making the time to have that there. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. So how do you go about scheduling your week and day mm-hmm. then? Yeah, that's, that's constantly changing based upon new you know, things that I'm doing. But for the most part, like I've now been able to structure my days to where I'm staying up, up north with my family at least three to four days out the week and three to four days or, you know, three to four days out the week, I'm down south. So one that helps me with budgeting my money, because we all know gas prices are Mm -hmm. crazy. Two, it's time. I'm in the car a lot. So I'm driving roughly six hours a day when I'm going down south right so I'll go to my gym I'll go to Miami I'll come back to my gym I'll come back up home that can be three hours at at most times because of traffic Mm -hmm. so it's three hours down three hours back easily and so that's a large amount of time that I use my time very wisely audio books podcasts so on and so forth I'll even take calls meetings zoom sessions whatever yeah I've been able to do that. And honestly, I've been able to learn so much from those drives. So I've been doing this. I've been driving an hour and a half, two hours, three hours down and back for almost 10 years now. So that's 10 years of like what I call like, you know, driving university. In a sense, yeah, right? yeah. I'm on the interstate just learning. And so it gives me that opportunity to grow. But scheduling out my time now to where I'm more present when I get home is most important because you can be there and everybody knows that you can be there but you're not present so how do you how do you do that I have to shut it off and I know I know I know the word half right but have to I'm getting better at it yeah so what 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 has helped you get better at it do back like front loading everything I need to do in the beginning of the day that way, at the end of the day, I can shut it down. Yeah. So I'll get up at 4 a.m. I'll get most of my stuff done in the morning before they wake up. Then I'll take my son to school. Then I'll go drive down south. I'll get all that stuff done by 1, 2, 3 o'clock. I'm out of there by 3, 4 o'clock, and then I'm home. Those are the days I go down south. Yeah. Now, the days I'm up north, even better, because now I can go, all right, the kids are in school. My wife's probably going out. You know, she, She's a real estate agent, so she goes and shows houses and stuff on the mornings. And I'm basically working from 4 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then we have lunch. I'm able to have lunch with my wife, which I haven't been able to do that, I don't know, however. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the day, pick my son up from school, maybe have one or two calls in that afternoon, but that's it. And then by 5 o'clock, it's shutdown time. So how do you know when to bring on new projects? Mm. It's got to feel right. And I got to yes. know if I have the time to do so. And it doesn't take me to understand that. Like, it takes me to understand it, but it doesn't, I need somebody else to be like, 
Yeah, but you, you've, you've been around long enough to know that most new projects fail yeah real quick yeah. like you know within the first few weeks yeah yeah. so yeah, you yeah. can't avoid all you see what i'm saying you can't push things back because you mm. kind of this is a fucked up thing we're talking about right now right <laughs> right because you you yeah. you, you don't really want to start anything expecting it's going to fail yeah but you know the probability that it's going to is going to be really high well you got to do your market research like first and foremost i'm going to see exactly like what the problem is if this yes. is something that is going to solve a big problem then i think that it can be successful actually i know it can be successful yeah. and it, you go about it in the right ways you have a, like a, a good sop and you know exactly what you need to hit on finding out the details and then organizing a plan of action it can be successful. Yeah. It takes consistency. It takes effort and focus. But you have to figure out what's the problem that you want to solve. And is it a big problem for that to be solved? Yeah. And if you're looking for a high reward, high ticket, you got to solve rich people problems. So mm -hmm. at that point, we're figuring out what's that problem. And usually it's like, all right, we need to make sure that it's more of a, it's an exclusivity factor, right? It's convenience factor. It's a time factor. So if I can if I can hit those three points, if I can take care of those three points, we have a lucrative business at our hands. So all the online stuff, all the online programs, all the content that I produce, it all feeds into that system. So now when I go and do, you know, these these seminars or when I go and do these webinars, they've been watching me for years mm -hmm. online. I know that's feeding the system. When I do new projects or new projects get, you know, brought to me, and there's been countless that I had to turn down because I just didn't see the big picture. And usually I'm good at that. And even if I saw the big picture, it's just not right for the time. Since timing is everything. Yes. So I gotta say, one, is this right for my demographic? Am I gonna be able to organize this in the right way to where I'm gonna be able to take my demographic and let them buy into the situation? If not, then it's, it's not gonna work for me. Yeah. And it can't be so far outside of the spectrum of my expertise to where I'm just like, I'm just kind of going this shit blind, right? It has to correlate in some capacity. Yes. Right. Cause I've had guys wanting me to do like a bunch of credit repair and shit like that. I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's business, but it, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. Yes. You know, like, and I'm cool. I like business. I, I and I'm, I'm more in that now I'm deep into it. But I think like things like content creation, production studio stuff, yeah. because I've been doing that. Yeah. Right. I can help people build their brands because I've been doing that. It all correlates to what I've been doing, building a YouTube channel, building a podcast, like what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. We can help those types of people. I do that with my mentorship. Yeah. So like coaches, for the most part, they get stuck in the X's and O's. They get stuck in the, the physiology, the anatomy, the biomechanics, all the all the programming. Programming yes. is big, by the way. Yes, yes, everybody yeah. everybody wants to know the, the best periodization protocol. Yeah. Right? They forget about, like, if you're in the private sector and you don't know how to run your books, you're going to be fucked. Oh, if you don't know how to market, you're fucked. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yes. There's been guys that have been able, like, for me, I was able to, word of mouth, I've been able to grow, you know? But you got to learn how to properly organize ad spend you got to know your ROAS like you got to yes. know all these things in order for you to actually build and grow because there's going to come a time where warm traffic is going to run out and you got to you got to work into cold and how are you going to find and how are you going to get that attention and yes. so you have to learn social media marketing you have to learn online marketing you have to learn guerrilla marketing and there's all these things that come into play I still think offline marketing 
has its place. I still think going out there serving flyers, you know, talking to local businesses can do a world of a world of good. Right. You can bring people in doing that shit, especially if you're a good talk game. Yes. Like if you're if you're an ex if you have extroverted tendencies, right? Or you're an extrovert, you can do that. Well there 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 has to be multiple streams, right? So yeah. you know, I, I can say this now, like what if the internet shut down for a month? Yeah. And nobody's gonna say, Oh fuck, that will never happen. Oh yeah, it's okay. Possible. Well there's a lot of shit that just happened in the last few years that people said would never happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if that happened, is there a revenue stream that's coming in that does not involve there being always online? Has to be. You always have to have a contingency plan. Yes. You know, so like I will always go back to working one on ones or group training or, yes. or just coaching people, right? If that's the case, you know, if that's what we have to do, if the internet shuts down, everything's done, right? Or technology just takes a shit and then like nobody we go back to the stone age. I can grab have a person right now and service them and they will pay me for that service yeah i think the in, in business the contingency plan that you just mentioned is huge yeah right because a lot of people have this mentality mm. of no backup plan i'm just going oh, all yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah i get it mm. right but it's fucking stupid in business yeah because a lot of things <laughs> don't work right exactly the other thing i would throw out there is running the worst case scenario of any new project mm. like if this yeah. doesn't work if it's a program you're doing or whatever it is so if this program doesn't work yep what are the pieces that could be disassembled to be used for something else yep you know yep. so if it's a hundred exercise videos like okay cool i can have that mm -hmm. that's an asset don't know what it would be used for but maybe later it's used for something else exactly. Exactly. and then it gets pulled apart mm -hmm. so if this is a ends up being a break even mm -hmm. or even a loss mm -hmm. what are the takeaways that are there that's 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 great that you said that because when you're in business or where you're whatever you're doing coaching whatever uh training you always got to look at like why am i doing something right so like if i'm gonna go do let's say i do this podcast right mm -hmm. like obviously i want to do this podcast mm -hmm. right i want to sit down with you i want to talk with you but if you weren't a guy that i've been following for like decades and you were just some guy that was like once you come down and, and do a podcast i would still probably do it because I can leverage whatever I've done in here and talk to you about, and I can put that and repurpose that on my, yeah. on my other platforms. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Is what, what is there, mm -hmm. you know, worst case scenario. And they, I, people don't do that. Yeah. And they leave so much mm -hmm. on the chopping block yeah. that they don't have, especially in this industry. Mm -hmm. You know, so much, so much it's ridiculous. Have you ever had to, like, really disassemble or re-identify what you were doing it from a business standpoint more times than i've had to not <laughs> yeah you know a hundred percent you know it's it could be it could be a product that it just mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't sell yeah like so then what you know and these are all questions i'm trying to answer before even bringing the product in yeah or the adding a new revenue stream would be a big one like mm -hmm. okay if i'm gonna add this revenue stream then what's the cost of putting in this revenue stream yeah what what is the what's the worst case scenario yeah like how much am i willing to just burn if nothing comes and i won't do it if there's actually zero if there's if there's nothing if it doesn't work and mm -hmm. there's nothing left 
nothing yeah. then I won't do it yeah but that would be like bringing a product in that I wouldn't even be able to like give away to charity for a write-off yeah, yeah, yeah. you know there's got to be something, something. Yeah. that's there that I was gonna say what's the what's the least amount that can you can get from it to where you're like all right this isn't this is yeah well that's the risk reward too mm -hmm. right so that's the other balance is mm -hmm. you're gonna play in this little area where there's risk rewards a little bit better yeah. probably most of the time mm -hmm. but every now and again mm -hmm. you gotta put your dick on the line yeah. you know <laughs> and that the risk is going to be a little bit bigger because uh, accordingly the rewards should be a little bit bigger yeah if you think it out and do the things that you were talking about you run this like what's the marketing plan what what's mm -hmm. the demographics what's the research mm -hmm. because the risk without having all that is just ignorance yeah Right. It's, just, it's it's to me, it's just stupidity. It's not even doing the due diligence For to sure. be able to see what the you just assume. Yeah. And that, that is a lot of people. Right. They just mm -hmm. assume. Have you ever have you ever assumed like you were like, I got a I got a great hunch on this. Yeah. 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 Um, none of them have ever paid out. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you learn over a period of time, you know, that and, and for for most of the things, you know, I, I can relate to this because it's retail, so I can relate to it as products. For mm -hmm. probably 95% of the products, they don't sell. You know, but if you don't have the 90% that don't sell, you don't find the five that do. Yeah. And to think that you're only going to find the five that do, mm -hmm. you're really stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're just not. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's a different sector than if it's going to be something that... It's a long, long play that takes more work. Say the when I wrote the program with John's a different, so that's my service oriented, right? Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. okay, what's this? What's the time commitment? Mm -hmm. How much time is this gonna take? Yeah. Because it's it's a lot. You know, it's yeah. more than people that's think. That's what I was gonna say. Do you do you weigh the risk reward? Oh, hundred percent. Because I gotta look at that, but then I gotta look at the the opportunity cost, not just the time. Yeah. Like this time can be put to something else that could have this return. Mm -hmm. We're now this, so it's not just the timeline that's that then what's the potential pro out of this now if it doesn't work mm -hmm. what's left yeah you know what what are the pieces here okay yeah. there's a lot of things that i could break apart mm -hmm. to make as micro blogs or you know yeah, yeah, workouts yeah. or whatever yeah 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 you get content regardless yes you know like even the stuff that you did with john was awesome yes you know like there was pieces of content that you could still repurpose oh yeah you know and you probably still do Yes. You know, and even with this podcast, there's so many things that we're going to take from this. Oh, yes. So it's really just like finding out, all right, what's the long term effect and how can we multiply this through this one time that we're doing this? Yes. And, and like even with product, that's why I was talking to you before about like, you know, for me, I, I look at it as I think product overall is a better business model than a service. It can because it's easier. It's easier to scale if it works. Exactly. Your margins. Yeah, the margins suck compared to service, but you can't scale a service very well either. Yeah, because you can't because you run out of time. Mm -hmm. So that was my biggest issue, right? So I'm like, I can increase margins because my time isn't limited, right? And now, let's say for instance, I had a I have a coach that I have to fulfill that acquisition. So now, like, okay, now I'm fulfilling that. But now, what's the cost of that fulfillment? So then the margins could be just the same as if I had a product. Mm -hmm. So I go, well, now, if I'm doing the same thing, then why don't I just have both going on at the same time? Yes. And now, margins are the same, could be slightly increased, but I'm buying back my time. And yes. I could do other things. And if, if, it, if, 
if it spreads out, like a, a product is essentially a revenue stream, yeah. right? Where, you know, it's everybody talks about multiple revenue streams. Well, you know, I can sit here and say every product that's its own revenue, at least a category, it's yeah. a revenue. I don't have to start a new business yeah, yeah. to sell equipment <laughs> or one just to sell bands. You yeah, know, it's I like, the same. you got like a thousands of business. Yeah, like, it's, you know, it's all the same, it's, it's all there, where the same thing with, you know, any content product, it can be its own business, I suppose. Yeah. It depends upon what the marketing is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it probably should be, because it might get too diluted mm -hmm. if it is like a gen pop, thing but everything else is known as this yep. then you try to slide that in with all this other stuff and people are like what the fuck is this you know and people are right now <laughs> yeah 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 that yeah. that becomes an issue because of that right so it's and that gets into brand identity and how far you can step outside well that's another thing i wanted to ask you because i've been going so deep for so long and now i want to branch out and this is where Pushing Peaks is allowing me to step out and do this. There's some hurdles there. There's some growing pains, you could say, to where people are kind of like, is it a combat sports program? And I'm like, no. Like, what are you doing with Tim again? And I'm like, we're just doing what we've been doing. Like, it's not like I haven't been working with him. Mm -hmm. You've been seeing this. You've been seeing the result. You've been seeing the progressions. It's just like now we're, we're trying to build this because I think people forget I worked with General Pop when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I, I did that. So it's not brand new to me. You just know me as the combat sports yes. guy. You know, I've been doing powerlifting, bodybuilding, strongman, you know, but you know me as the combat sports guy. And I made this. I made this happen. Mm -hmm. Like, I did this. I get it. Because I went real niche and I went real deep. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, all right, I want to branch out. And I think that for me, I'm mastering pivoting, like I, as you yeah, can see, yeah, I mastered yeah, the pivot. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because me and Mike had this conversation. We did my podcast, and now he's doing bodybuilding mm -hmm. from strongman. He's, that's his identity. Your identity was powerlifting. Mm -hmm. I believe that I have multiple skill sets based on the root talent that I've been given. Why? And I know it sounds bad in a sense and people may think like oh you should just be a master of one but I never thought that like that's why I did MMA you know I think you should be competent I think you should be 80% good at everything and then you should be 120 on one thing yeah well you're 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 going to get typecasted yeah right I mean that's just kind of how the market works like I'm still the powerlifting guy like everybody thinks the only we only sell equipment to powerlifters yeah. where it makes up five percent of our revenue over the past decade <laughs> right that, that's always going to be there for that general perception yeah. but the um, but to know that allows the the marketing because it's still broad-based marketing like edu educating and outfitting is pretty simple right yeah, educating yeah. and outfitting and live learn pass on is all pretty simple mm -hmm. where what i pushed back on you a little bit earlier about was what's the training philosophy when it's in a sense if i'm to reduce it down mm -hmm. would be this whatever the condensed conjugate right yeah yeah, yeah. Right, if, so let me ask you this what is a philosophy to you a philosophy to me would be the base of a program basically if you want to say five three one okay. that's just philosophy right um to me the wouldn't training that be, wouldn't it be it's still block yeah <laughs> what i'm saying no no that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah what i'm saying is like that would be your method of training. it would be the method but i would call it training philosophy that's really? just how i would call it i think of philosophy as a mindset 
Okay. You see yeah, what I'm so saying? That so that's where the disconnect okay. was. Yeah, well, that's not it's a disconnect, like, but it's to ask that is is wise, right? Because this yeah. is where misconceptions come. Because yeah. I would say my philosophy would then be live, learn, pass on. Exactly. Right? Where my training philosophy or what the training method okay. would be, I'm going to operate, my bias okay. is going to be out of conjugate. Sure. Right? That's my bias. It may yeah. not always happen, but that's my bias, right? Okay. I get where if, if your training philosophy, as I would describe it, is condensed conjugate, then it doesn't matter if it's a football player, if it's a celebrity, if it's an MMA, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because that's why I asked earlier with Timberland, are you running him through yeah, yeah. the same? And you are, right? Yeah. All those screens are all the same. He just falls way lower oh, absolutely. on all of them, yeah. but it's still the same. Yeah. So when it comes to that marketing piece, mm. this is the marketing piece. Like, no, it's not a training program, but to be honest, it never was a training program. Mm. It, was a, it was a methodology of training yeah. that was put together to accommodate gen pop, you know, basically yeah, anything you slip in there. Well, really it was to accommodate people that always need to be ready at all times. Yeah. So tactical population, I work a lot, a lot with the SWAT guys, military, fighters, you know, even general pop, they just need to be good at everything at all times or at least have some focus points but all the dials are turned up yeah and I think any trainer that's been around paying attention studying educating themselves passing on helping others is going to develop their own style or mm -hmm. philosophy mm -hmm. and that whatever that is for whoever that is, if it's DeFranco if it's Wendler whoever it is they're all gonna operate from that same base mm -hmm. no matter who they work with if it's their mom <laughs> You know, if it's some out of shape person, it's going to be, it's just a very, very scaled down gotcha. version of this because that's what you know best. Mm -hmm. You know how to analyze it. You know how to look and see. Yeah. This is off. This is off. I mean, that's, it'd be dumb to not do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it just, it regresses mm -hmm. and progresses. Yeah. You know, because who knows? You still may not have had the biggest freak you're ever going to have. Mm -hmm. You may have somebody that comes in and then you start to do all the metrics and you're like holy shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> if everything's out of this well, I don't even know if I need to train this person I know yeah, yeah. then you're challenged like For well sure. can we make it better yeah right so both ends yeah well then at that point I'm looking at like I'm pinpointing the limitation right because yes. there's got to be something yes it's going to be either conditioning it's going to be mobility it's going to be maybe like a strength deficit yeah. whatever there always is it's just so when it gets regressed yeah everything is yeah so then when everything is what's the priority what's the most yes. important yeah you know without getting them hurt mm -hmm. discouraging them mm -hmm. making them want to quit yeah and not making fitness a part of their life yeah yeah well that's where like that assessment comes into play yeah and then finding out the details and i think it does come down to like movement quality mm -hmm. like in general you can't get underneath the bar if you can't squat with no weight yeah Maybe we all know that right <laughs> yeah. so like i'm looking at from the joint by joint approach i'm looking up the kinetic sequence and seeing exactly how well they're moving at a particular time frame and then also how well they can breathe how well they can recover heart rate recoverability all of that comes into play and that even just that comes from me just looking at them move right so every day is an assessment too as well yes every time they step in the gym i'm watching them move i'm watching them react to certain situations i'm watching them react to how i talk to them yes because even with fatigue that's a big indication so like the guys that i work with you know doing a lot and even with even with you know, celebrities like Timberland, he's got a lot on his plate. So stress is a big thing. 
And if I have an increase in cortisol throughout a sustained amount of time, I don't care what you do, it's not going to be sufficient and you're going to hurt yourself yeah. in the long run. So, Which is stress management, which is the same thing you do with the fighters. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yep. You know, it falls in there. And then when you have the, the other cool thing, and you already do this, is once you have that core methodology philosophy, however people want to define that, mm -hmm. established, you can coach it to other coaches, mm -hmm. right? Not that they're going to become and they shouldn't become the best practitioners of that philosophy. Mm. It teaches them a philosophy. Exactly. Which is a hack, mm. right? Because a lot of people that come up through, you're looking at this, you're looking at this, you're looking at like Louis stuff and all, you're looking at all these different things yeah. to be able to push yours all together, mm -hmm. which was way harder to do yeah. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, Absolutely. 20 years ago. You know, now it's, it's accessible where somebody will walk you through exactly why their methodology and philosophy is that way, mm -hmm. which is a huge hack. Mm -hmm. It can expedite things so much. Yeah. And that's where like, you're getting a lot of, honestly, there's real athletic genetic freaks out there because there is so much more information you know there's especially even coming getting down to like sleep and nutrition there's way more out there than than there was 20 years ago you know even fighters are getting better they're getting more adapt they understand the the nuanced details on how they need to structure their training but like eight years ago it was still bad it mm -hmm. was it was it was probably the worst it's been it started to get better when the UFCPI came in, and, I, and I'm just talking about fighters because that's my most, that's yeah, my highest yeah. experience. So you're going back to when it was all circuit training. Fuck yeah, man! <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this is bad. Mm -hmm. and I know it was bad because mm -hmm. I, I used to do it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we all did it. Yeah, but I was like, there's got to be a better way. And then, you know, guys, you know, guys like Andy Galpin will come into the situation, and they they got a science background, and then, you know, now we're learning things from other industries, and we're learning other things from like different sports scientists, and now we get to because everybody likes fighting we can you know get conversations with these guys mm -hmm. and go online and learn this shit and then correlate it over to the fight game and now fighters are getting better fighters are getting crazy better on top of that they're starting at a younger age too as well we talked about that too. yeah it's just it's just another level and i think that that's one of the things um as a growing sport and i know they talk about like fighter pay and everything else like it's a growing sport and whether or not you want to say that Dana takes up most of the money or whatever, it's still it's a sport that needs yeah. to still grow, mm -hmm. and it'll get there in due time. But um, I do believe that if we keep on this trajectory, it'll it'll be a solid, it'll be as good if not better than the NFL when it comes down to salary pay, when it comes down to um, athletes getting taken care of, when it comes down to just athletes knowing how to train themselves, pensions, all of that, that whole nine. Hopefully, I like to see that for my guys. But again, when we talked about technology, we talked about information, there's so much out there now. I even look at it when people don't know certain things like baseline stuff, I'm like, how do you not know this? How do you not know this with everything at your fingertips, literally at your fingertips on your phone? Yeah. You know, where it's like, I, I know that's, that has to be something that I look at. Cause I go, if you don't know this, that means that you didn't make the effort to go search for it. So you're coming to me because you want the answers when you yeah. could have just Googled that shit. Yes. And see, see that's something I don't know the answer to, right? Because it's, I mean, I've been online for 25 years. You think I would, right? Mm -hmm. But not everybody, I mean, you're an outlier in the fact that you went down deep to try to learn all this stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, if you, if you look over the years, how many people wanted to do what you're doing right now but quit? 
yeah. a lot. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure people are still doing it today mm -hmm. and they're outliers, yeah. but it's just more visible <laughs> today how many people fall out. Yeah. You know, start, fall out. So I don't really know if it's more or less mm -hmm. you get what I'm saying because yeah. we can sit here and say well the information is more condensed it's streamlined there's so much more of it there's confusion I think those people that still have the drive to want to be great at what they do yeah. are still going to have the drive to be great at what they do but yeah. they've always been the minority yeah true where maybe we're expecting to see that to be the majority mm -hmm. or just because we can see it maybe that's what it is yeah just because we can see it so much yeah that it's like what the fuck man they're all not even trying <laughs> yeah. right where i think they are i mean what i tell young coaches is how cool is it today if you were coming up? Think about it. Say you're coming up today in today's world. You have access to all this information. And you know for a fact 95% mm -hmm. of your competition is fucking lazy. Yeah. Right? So yeah. all you need to do is actually just fucking work hard. Take the initiative. And put the time in and let everybody else just fall to the wayside. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, you know? It, it's funny because it was almost the exact opposite when I started to come up. Because everybody was hungry for knowledge so we were always on elite fts we were always yeah. on youtube we were always searching things like west side and all that and reading the books and like constantly studying because we're all on the race to the top it's either that or that's just you all saw each other yeah so you didn't see the people that felt you see what i'm saying yeah because it was it was harder to find each other then yeah Right, because yeah, and you knew who they were because they were at the same conferences, they had the yeah, same seminars, exactly. they, they were on the time. same forums, mm -hmm. they were on the same, you know, because it was harder to be able to find the information. Yeah, where now it's easier. Like I don't know. Like I said, I don't know the answer. It's, no, that's that's interesting that you say that because it's true, man. Like, but I know that I know that I know that for those come, I know it's no different for those that are willing to work hard mm -hmm. and take the kicks. Yeah, because there's a lot. You know, it's there's 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 a lot like I don't think people understand how many how much adversity you have to go through just to be mediocre. Yeah. I mean, it's that's the truth. I, st I mean, still go through it. Yeah, I still go through it. There's it's the life is undulating. Yes. Like there's so, ups and flows, it's ups and downs and there's going to be more downs and ups at times, you know, and then you got to kind of make sure that you stay the course and know that there's a there's another thing is like you got to know there's a higher cause for everything. So like if I don't if I don't if I don't put that in perspective, yes. this is why I'm doing this, then I'm going to fold. Yes. Right. And every day you have to have a purpose. And I think that people run out of their purpose. They don't understand or they don't they didn't solidify it from the start. They just wanted to do it because it was cool or that they saw somebody else do it. They saw me do it. Yeah. You know, I get a bunch of kids ask me, I want to do what you're doing. I'm like, do you? Do you really? Because you're going to have a long road ahead of you. So it's a long story, but there's the purpose is a big one. The other thing they have to contend with is everything they see is fake. Mm -hmm. So they think everybody else is succeeding when they're not. <laughs> yes. Right. They um, and the other big one is you have to have faith that it's going to be it's going to work out. Right. You know, then no matter what it is or when it's hard, you have to have the faith that it's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that the deeper you go, the harder it is to deal with that because your ramifications, the, the, the things that may go wrong, it gets heightened because mm -hmm. now you're more successful. You can lose more 
when you got nothing to lose, you can make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Like you can go all out. But now when you got shit to lose, it's like that Rocky type mm-hmm. of mentality. It's like, you got nothing to lose, Rock. You know? And now you made the, you made the money. You, made, you have the fame. It's like, you can lose all this now. It, make one bad decision. Mm-hmm. So then you take a, a different, different look at things. And you be more methodical and more calculated with your approach. Whereas that when you're young, you can make those dumbass decisions. Yes. You know, like 20s, like you got to fuck up a lot. Yeah. And you can. Yeah. It's good. You but I would to. say those decisions would have been better when you were younger if you had more to lose. Yeah. I know mine would have been. Yeah. Because I would have I would have thought a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Where now it's just reckless. Mm-hmm. Right. It's okay to be reckless then. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it pays off big, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. It didn't yeah. for anybody I personally know, but for some people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it yeah. kind of does. But as, as you get older, you you have to be more calculated. Yeah. We put more people are dependent upon you. Yeah. Where you don't at a young age, you don't have to worry about yourself. That's the, that's the thing. It's like, all right, cool. If I fuck this up, it's only messing me up. But if I fuck this up now, I'm messing up my whole family and everybody that works for me. You know? But that's that's the price we pay. It is. I mean, it's still, it still can, right? Yeah. But it's not going to be stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to go fucking beat somebody over the head with a gun because you know that's stupid. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. But back then, right, it's different. It's like, whatever. Right? Yeah. I mean, so a lot of those big, young things kind of get alleviated just because yeah. you learn that it's... Well, if I would have did the same thing I did at 16 now, it's over. Yeah. It's fucking over. Yeah. But I would never do that. Mm-hmm. Like, my whole mindset changed because I was in a, in a situation where I, I felt like I was being suffocated where I needed to get out and I guess that was my way of trying to get out yeah you know now I'm, I'm a little bit more clear on what I need to do and and even then it's like all right you know I have my vision I have my goals I have the people that I love and, and the people that I want to take care of and everything that I do every decision I make every schedule that I make is predicated towards that that aspect of my life so when I when I make the decision to do things it's also looking at that situation and making sure that it's appropriate for everything that's where like when things come my way i'm like eh, take a i can take calculated risks absolutely yeah. we yeah. always do but it the risk can't outweigh the reward and you have to be mindful of that you almost have to look at it from the outside looking in and i have to detach myself from maybe the feeling I get from wanting to go after it because that's my that's my desire yeah and I have to be pull myself back and not be the kid at the candy store trying to reach in take some candy when I know I didn't pay for it yeah 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 I think that you I think you're taking bigger risks now than you think you are Mm -hmm. because the perspective on how you see it changes Mm -hmm. after after all the like when we train Mm -hmm. in the gym we break down tissue then we recuperate then that tissue heals and we become stronger like with all adaptations where you know when you're younger in the industry I'll just use an example. Say you make a post and you get one bad comment. Like, yeah. fuck this dude, right? Yeah. Right now, you don't, don't the, you don't care, no. right? Because all those little little things that pissed us off over the last 10 years or whatever it's been mm-hmm. have built calluses mm-hmm. to now the, the risks that we're taking now are unfathomable 
to what you would be doing 10 years ago because 10 years ago what your peers thought of you meant so much it did or what somebody else would say negatively you meant so much yeah yeah that a lot of the things that you may have done back then you didn't do because you were afraid of man what will they think exactly who are never going to support you in the first place well i also think it's because of the fact that and that's a great point i think that you know who you are more now like for me there's not a lot i have to prove so then if somebody says something negative i'm like look at my track record look at my mm-hmm. resume look at you know i know who i am and i know what i'm capable of if you try to attack character well i know who i am mm-hmm. and i know the people that are around me that are in my circle love me for who i am you don't even know who, who i am so why yeah, am i yeah, worried yeah, i don't yeah. even know who you are what yeah, the fuck that's my point yeah. Yeah. that's just one example of many yeah you know a lot of the other things would be man i don't know exactly what copy of this should be yeah. Where after a while you're like, you know what? Fuck it. Nobody ever knows. Yeah. Just throw it out. If it don't work, you change it. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Are you are you more aware of your decision making now than you were, let's say, 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. 100. percent Yeah. You have to be. Yes. 100. Um, percent Why though? Because I fuck I fuck up a lot. Yeah. Right? Now, it doesn't mean I'm still not going to fuck up. I still say I fuck up 90% of the time. Mm. But that's the price you pay for the 10% of the time that things work. Mm. That's just how it goes. Mm. Training's that way. Not every rep's a PR. Yeah. Very few are. Yeah. But you got to put in the other ones to be able to get that PR. Exactly. So um, I would say I'm more calculated in the, what what I'm, I'm more reserved in what the potential upside can be mm-hmm. and I'm definitely more calculated in what the worst case scenario can be okay right so it's those those I think hurt me as well yeah. so it helps but also hurts yeah you know because sometimes I wonder Mm-hmm. And if you just said, fuck it, just, you know, would the return actually something you don't know? Yeah. Right. And maybe it would be I'd be more risk adverse if I had f- complete financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's there's enough money in the bank that I don't have to worry about fuck ever working money. again. Yeah. Right. And then it's like maybe I don't know, though. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I that's a good question. I think question. you'd be even more reserved. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer. The guys, that. I mean. Luckily, I've been blessed to be able to be around these guys that are like super successful, yeah. billionaires, multimillionaires, and they're more reserved with their money than anybody I know. There's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason why they're there. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I learned from them because they're like, well, there's a reason why you made that money and now you have liquid and you can do what you want to do, but you're reserved and, you, and you're like the cheapest guy I know, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can say that because I've been around it. And I go, well, if they're doing it, then we have to adopt that mindset because I don't know. I know I don't have that much money. Yeah. I don't have the money that they have. And they're still cheap as ever. I know that some of my more expensive mistakes over the years have created a lot of that Mm. because some mistakes can get really fucking expensive. Yeah. You know, yeah, so that, that that really makes you pause. So I could see why they may think that, because mm-hmm. maybe they did make some bad investments and lost, like, hurtful money. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, fucking really bad. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, millions gone. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and that, that mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. Well, you, it's trial by fire. You know, like, you're like, all right, I've been through the wars. I understand the battles, and I know what it takes. And I guess the best thing to do is learn from the battles like, we, like we've done, you know. And to find new ones, because yeah. it's something else that I've seen 
not just in business, but in powerlifting, probably in sports in general, is what I see in powerlifting is people will set like a, a, a a, a multi-year plan. Mm -hmm. like, I want to be world record holder. I want to be a world title holder. Let's mm -hmm. use MMA. Mm -hmm. And then they do it. Mm -hmm. And say they train for five years for that. Yeah. Then they get it. And they that whole pursuit, that five-year pursuit was all about that. Then they're like, they're lost. Fuck, what's next? Yep. Right? And there, there has to be something that drives that same passion and drive yeah. there. Yes. Because being complaints at it's probably fine if you want to retire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, that's still not even fine, though. Yeah. Because what's next? Because you can lose it all. When you were at your most successful in powerlifting, when you made it to the pinnacle of your success, mm -hmm. did you feel like there was nothing else that you could do, or did you have another aspiration that was in the same realm? Like, it was powerlifting done for or were you like now nah, I want to go into business or I want to keep pursuing more weight and more numbers and more records the business was being developed as I was powerlifting so mm -hmm. my education was developed as I was powerlifting so um, it, 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 I don't think well, I do. I mean, I, I think I could have lifted more. Yeah. I, I could have lifted better numbers, but I don't think I could have physically been stronger. So the, mm -hmm. the way I would explain that is I could have learned how to use the gear, the yeah. multiply gear I was Technique. using at the time. I could have used that way better, mm -hmm. which would have which would have filled that gap. But I, I don't regret that because I did, we didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I finished the last several years or five years my whole time at Westside I would say so that whole time I went into that with the mindset of I don't want to leave and ever say what if yeah so that that was all of that mm -hmm. it was towards the end where it was like man this these this is you hit plateaus yeah right you hit a plateau then it goes up then you hit a plateau then it goes up mm -hmm. and it's like man i'm really fucked up mm -hmm. and i hit another plateau and this is like three more years and yeah i can't fucking grab the bar but i know i probably could if i if i really gave a shit yeah i could figure it out yeah but i didn't want to mm -hmm. um so and that was the a kid in business so the multiple variables at the yeah. same time but it's still after after that was over, I didn't want to be around the sport mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And the business is kind of in the sport, you know, so it's associated yeah. with the sport. So yeah, that yeah, was interesting. So it took me a while to kind of come back to why I started the sport in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a, kind of a reoccurring theme with a lot of the lifters that I have on the podcast is... You know, the, the, the higher they get in the sport, sometimes they get caught up. And I'm sure MMA and fighting is the same way. There's a lot of political drama. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and, the, and, and the fighters, they get wrapped up into that. Yeah. Sometimes it, it makes their it's harder to recover. Their cortisol's higher. They're mm -hmm. frustrated yeah. and all this other stuff. And they forget why they started fighting in the first place. True. And most of fighting, most of MMA is not, they, they make up maybe the top 1%. Mm. The, the, there's a whole bottom 90% that just love to get in the cage or get in the ring and yeah. fucking battle. It's so funny, man. Guys calling me, I just want to do one fight. I'm like, what? Like, That's most the sport. So crazy. You see what I'm saying? That yeah. so the the drama that y'all see at the very top is actually the vocal minority, mm. which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. 
where the silent majority just wants to get in there and fight, mix it up, True. have fun. That's why you know, that's why they got it in the first place. There's some similarities with powerlifting too, though. Yeah, you know, it's just people just want to try a meet. They just want to yeah. do one meet. You know, they want to go nine for nine, or you know, and they want to make sure that they they can say they did it. Yeah, you know? and it could be for multiple reasons though too. It could I, be. I never was that. Yeah. Go ahead, my bad. No, I know, but that, that I would say, and fighting too, yeah. and, and all sports yeah. that are individually based and very easy to get into, mm. it's just somebody that wants to, like you, you doing the bodybuilding, it's mm. just somebody that wants to try to conquer something. Maybe, maybe it's the only thing they ever finished. Yeah. Right? So no matter what their total is, or even if they do well in the fight, mm-hmm. they trained for it, yeah, they, they did it, the goal. and they fucking stepped in. Yeah. And did something to where they when they're done, it. they're like, you know what? I fucking did this. Yeah, that's cool. Right? And it, it is. is. That not that what most people are in it for? Yeah. No, nah, for sure. I just I just always looked at it as if I'm going to do it, it's it's long term. Yeah. You know? And that's could be my downfall, too, as well. Like, I didn't really yeah. look at the long aspect of it in a sense like when i did bodybuilding i was like i'm gonna be a pro <laughs> like, yeah. like that's my mentality you know because i had to attack it as such otherwise i wouldn't have been all in the way i needed to be you know same thing with powerlifting I was like i, I want i want to fucking I, I didn't i didn't know if i could make it to like world record status because of just genetics same thing with bodybuilding mm-hmm. like i was like ah, i could probably get there but i'd like to be a pro or like i'd like to set an all-time total or something like mm-hmm. that but it, at the end of the day, I want to be the best. I want to be the strongest I can be. I don't want to look the best I can be. Yeah. You know? Um, and I know that's long term. That's like not just one meet, one competition. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? No, I get it. I I'm the same way. Yeah. But I think where, where the disconnect comes, at least it did with me, mm-hmm. is that we don't understand that the majority are not like that. Mm-hmm. Right? And sometimes you can get frustrated if it's a client of yours. Yeah. Like, why the fuck they don't take this serious? Yeah. You know, but you have that dialogue with them, mm-hmm. so you're determining this from the jump. Yeah, yeah. So that makes a big difference. Like maybe it isn't they're all, you know, all mm-hmm. in type of thing. Yeah. Then you, then you coordinate the training based upon their mind frame. Yeah. You know, and like their their mindset of like, all right, I just I just want to come in here, feel good, you know, move around a bit, say that I did it, and go home. Yeah. You know, and I'm like. Not my cup of tea, but cool. Yep. Let's do it. You well, there's other people the for that, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, there are. There's tons yeah. of other people for that. And and some guys, man, I know guys. I know trainers that are really good trainers, but they keep people for like ten plus years because they just like being around the trainer. Yes. They don't get a whole lot of results from them, but they like being around them. They like their you know their energy. They like the vibrations and like how they carry a conversation. It's like a, a highlight of their day. Yeah. And there's nothing really wrong with that as long as you're, because the goal from, from a general pop perspective, you're not just trying to improve, like if you're not trying to improve performance or anything like that, what are we trying to do? Well, we're, we're giving them a service. We're making them feel good, right? Now, if your absolute goal is to like body composition, yeah. strength, yeah. you, you got to reiterate, like let's get their goals accomplished because you know that they're going to feel good with that. If their general goal is just like, yeah, I just want to come in here, move around, feel good, you know, say I did it and then go on about my day. Well, cool, let's do it. But that's not me. Yeah. But there's coaches out there, there's trainers out there that can do that. And I think those trainers should define who who they want to, their, 
main population to be, yeah. right? Because if oh, yeah. if the, if that's the trainer that just wants to work with Gen Pop, because yeah. there is a huge need for that. We've Absolutely. already established that giant more than ever. Yeah. Then they need to learn the basics. Mm -hmm. They need to become very very good at training basics mm -hmm. and then become extremely good mm -hmm. at keeping people persistent and consistent mm -hmm. and that's a human thing yeah. that's not a sets and reps and all that other kind of thing it's a communication thing to be able to do that then they would excel beyond their expectations i would i would say if i were like with my guys too and we vet them too like we'll do the yeah. the personality test on my on my coaches we actually run a hexaco test which has one more category in there and basically it shows how well you can have emotional intelligence and so what i mean by that is like how well they can cope with people and and get to know them on a on a, another level to where okay i know exactly what, how i need to communicate with that person i know how i need to either reprimand them motivate them you know tell them they're doing a good job whatever and then from there, I can just find out how I want to progress them, whether that be, oh, look, we were able to hit, you know, five more push-ups or something very simple, but can give them huge reward and boost their mentality, boost their, their energy to go throughout their days and, and to get other things accomplished. And that comes with understanding people. So if I were to give them anything, it's like knowing that, knowing how to be charismatic, knowing how to have great communication skills, knowing how to be extroverted, carrying on conversation, and then getting to the root cause of their demons, their flaws, their insecurities, and then also what do they want to accomplish. And those small goals, if it's small to you, it may be big to them. So you have to put that in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. With, with all the years that you've had and all the clients that you had, all the fighters that you had, mm -hmm. um, tell me about a time when you felt it was all worth it. Mm. <laughs> there's a couple. I mean, there's a lot. Um, I'll, I'll go with one where, you know, D Dustin Poirier has been instrumental in my career. Like, his success is my success, you know. Um, he's like his own his power is personified through me, mm -hmm. you know? So like when he wins a fight, I win a fight, you know? So I live vicariously through that, <laughs> you know? And um, when he won the, the interim title against uh, Max Holloway, it was a level of joy that came over me that I was just like, it was an out of body experience, you know? And the Conor fights were cool, but like I knew how much it meant to him to have a strap wrapped around his waist because we were in it we've been growing and working towards it for three plus years at that point and then he got it and i, I it was the, the level of joy like, it's like true joy came over me um from a coaching standpoint yeah, obviously, yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah. but that right there was like yo this is this makes sense like i get it now and i was probably about three years into coaching elite level fighters at that point I won some awards, but that wasn't a big deal for me. Like I was like the one, you know, the awards that yeah. I wanted to win, that I set out to win. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. But it wasn't. It, it, it didn't really resonate with me that well. Is when my guys won, and they won the titles, and my girls won the titles, and then on top of that, even like, you know, some of my some of my lower level guys just winning like low level regional scene titles. I was like, and they go to me like, coach, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done this without you. Even the coaches that I mentor. 
when they DM me and they message me like, coach, thank you for everything. I learned a lot. I'm able to, you know, 10X my business. I'm able to, you know, get multiple coach or multiple athletes into my coaching business now. And I'm doing very well. And it's all because of you. And I'm like, that's amazing. It's not all because of me. First of all, it's the work that you put in. I just gave you the tools and you just ran with it. But that showed me like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Was it hard for you to accept the accolades? You know, when when says somebody says you're doing a great job. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really like. That. I'm a humble guy to a degree. Like you have to be somewhat humble, but you also have to be confident in in yourself. You know, but um, yeah, I don't do too much of that. Like when I when they talk about you, know, you got to be braggadocious. You got to tell you know you got to show your stuff, especially if you're doing like. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if somebody sends you that message saying yeah. that, you yeah. know, do you, it's fine hard. Do, do you do you actually absorb it or do you think, ah, it's just another person sending some bullshit? No, no, I absorb it. I okay. appreciate it. Yeah. I don't settle, but I appreciate it. Yeah. And I and I and I make sure I let that be known, too, as well. Like I give them their shout out. Yeah. Because if they're telling me that, that means they they accomplish something. So I'll share in that success. Mm -hmm. Like, oh. No, here you go. And I'm going to give him a platform on my platform and showcase that. Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I would say I definitely find joy in that. I just don't let it get to my head. Yes. Yeah. How often do you think about just throwing it all in and doing something else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't think I'll ever be out. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll ever be out. I think, I think my time is very limited nowadays on being on the floor coaching. I think now I'm pivoting more towards helping my coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my set guys that I'll probably have. I'm 34 now, so I don't really see myself being on the floor every hour on the hour. And I haven't done that in five years. Mm -hmm. So now it's more about seminars, speaking, building businesses, building other coaches up, helping my main guys get to the next level or transition them out of the sport and into a career mm -hmm. that can be more beneficial for them in the long run. That's really where I'm more focused on now. And what drives that? I, I think that um, it's a new challenge for me. You know, like, I don't want to say, like, I know Louis said it's like, he, he stopped coaching football players. This is not a challenge anymore. It's like, I can do that. It's easy. So like, I think like, Training fighters is always fun. There's always challenges, but I, I I understand the game so much that it's like, all right, I want to do something different. Working with the SWAT guys has been has been fun. Mm -hmm. Military guys has been fun because it's different, but it's the same. Their mentalities are the same. Um, some of the things that they have to do are the same, like from a from an energy system standpoint, all that. Um, and, and again, my philosophy stays the same. Yeah, training philosophy. But um, it's just a new like the same guys that I'm working with are the same guys that arrested me. You know what I mean? I went to their training facility. That was the spot that I got took that, that I got taken to when I got arrested. So how did that make you feel? Full circle. Well, that's like, not an answer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta think about it. Give me a second. <laughs> Reborn. Redeemed. Refueled. I just felt like I, I transitioned, I transcended, you know. If I didn't go through that situation, who knows where I would have been. If I, didn't, if I didn't get locked up, 
could have been doing the same shit because I never would have paid the price. And I find joy in working with those individuals because I know what it takes for them to get their jobs done. And it's hard. And I go, man, I, I respect y'all. I respect everything you do. You know, I'm, I work with now the Broward Sheriff. It's the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And, and he's gone, you know, done tremendous things. And he's been in my neighborhood. He's from my neighborhood, you know. So that right there, when you look at it, I'm like, man, that's a blessing. And I was able to take the talents, the experience, the skills that I acquired, the ups and downs, the fucking late nights, staying up all night, waking up early. I used to do boot camps at 5 a.m. and boot camps at 12 midnight, and I'll go back and forth for five days straight because I just wanted to help people make a living and do what I wanted to do. And that's what, it, that's what got me to this position of where I am now. It's not done. It'll never be done. But when we say, yeah, that transition out, what's my... For that moment, did it kind of feel like it was? Yeah, and I could only... Nobody could really feel me on that, too, because I was sitting in the car before I walked out. And I go, wow, this is fucking crazy. And I walked in there, and it was a little weird. And I still really, like, courthouses and shit like that still bother me, you know? Because it was big, like 60 years I was facing two counts of you know armed robbery yeah attempted murder and i'm like i never want to be here again and i never did i never looked back changed it all you know i changed my mindset primarily like like mentality of getting after it effort and all that was there but like trying to prove shit have a chip on my shoulder it was gone after that even when i started fighting i never got into another street fight again it's like why i don't have to i fight every day in the gym I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Yeah. You know, now transitioning into that next space in my life, it's like, I don't have to prove shit. I just want to do what I love to do. I want to help people. And anybody that's willing to take the path with me, let's do it. But you got to be able to catch up because I'm running fast. Well, it's still, I mean, you're still, I mean, you started out the whole story, right? Getting after it. Yeah. Right. It was just illegal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So and yeah. then you had to redirect it, you mm-hmm. know, to things that were legal. Yeah. You know, and it's that, that part I view just talking to you throughout this podcast and earlier, that's never going to go away. Yeah. You know, it's just redirecting. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that's the main drive. Mm-hmm. Right? Is what would you do if you couldn't get after anything? I'd be dead. Yeah. I'd be dead. Like it would kill me from the inside. Yeah. You know, I, I have to do something. It don't matter. I'll be I'll be 80 years old still trying to work. Yeah. You know, I have. Like I said, I love work. I love it. You can't pull me away from it. But I will tell you this: is that finding happiness in new things is really what I have to put myself in the right position to do because. I found to me, because I moved around so much when I was a kid, like I, I probably moved about 12 different times when I was a kid. So like I'm not used to being in one place for a long time. I think that's why I pivot a lot. Mm-hmm. And I said that to my wife, because my wife, she grew up in the same house until she was grown from the same area. We still live in the same neighborhood she grew up in. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I'm all over the place. So it's totally different where I'm, and she's like, you don't ever get excited for things. And I'm like... I used to fight in a cage, you know, like I got, uh, there's a lot of shit that goes down that 
get stuck in here. And then I'm always antsy. Like, I can't. She's like, you can never sit down. And I go, I have to do something. I have to move. And I have to transition. And I think that is a detriment, but it's also a strength because I'm able to pivot and I'm able to adapt and I'm able to overcome, transition, whatever you want to call it. But then again, I also have to stay the course. So I have to know when is the right amount of time to hold down that consistency and then when it's time to make that pivot. And, and now I've been able to understand when I need to do so. Because it gets to the point where I, when I wake up and I don't want to do something over and over again for a long period of time, I got to make the change, right? So That's a tough one too, right? Because yeah. that's part of the grind Yeah, is being able to stick it through when you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. How do you find that? Or how do you work that out in your head? I have to look at it like if I were to do this for the rest of my life every day, would I want to do it? Yeah. And if the answer isn't a hell yeah, then I got to make the change. You know, if I'm like, I don't want to do that shit. Like, I got to want to do it even when I'm not getting paid. Yeah. You know, I went down to Tim's. He didn't have to pay me. He, he paid me really well, but he didn't have to pay me because I knew that there was a, a bigger a bigger call. Yeah. Is that yeah. what was going to happen? Yeah. I knew that this shit was going to pay off in other ways. We're about to go train Justin Timberlake for and do his new album in a couple months or a couple weeks. Yeah, it's a higher purpose, like making that drive. I could train. I trained, uh, you know, Jake Brutal Bosswick. Kid's been with me for seven years. A bare knuckle fighter. He don't make no money like that. I don't charge him anything. Change for free. I want to do it. I go there. I drive an hour and a half. Get there. He knows it too, and he he loves it. He respects it, and he and he appreciates it. Yeah, it's those people that appreciate what I do. I don't charge the fighters anything. I'll do that all the, all the time, all day long, as long as it's not taking away from my family and as long as it's not draining me of my energy, yeah. I'm down to do it. So it's one of those things where I was like, I know I'll do that for the rest of my life. Even with the SWAT guys, I know those guys don't make no money. Mm-hmm. I make more money than them. But I'll do it because it's, it's what I like to do and I like being around them. Mm-hmm. So, but if it's something that where it's like, man, this shit, I don't want to do this shit. I don't want to put myself in a position. I don't want to drain my energy to where it's going to take away from people that I love. I'm not doing it. And then I won't do it. And that's my biggest problem, too. My assistant, you know, Maureen, she'll be like, are you sure you need to do this? And I go, nah, I don't need to do this. Yeah. Shit. Fuck this. And so that's my biggest issue. It's like I got I to gotta call it. I got to say no more times than not. Yeah. Mm. Were there were there any topics that you wanted to talk about mm-hmm. that we didn't get to? I wanted to talk to you about like how it all started with Elite FTS. Yeah. Um, it started with well, I was Lou was doing seminars. Yeah. And he asked me to start doing the seminars with him, mm. and so that was. I was a personal trainer at the time. Yeah. You know, so the, the degree and all the training part foundation was Were you was working already. at that gym that he opened up? Or no. Or you were working somewhere else? No, I was working somewhere else. Okay. So it's, I came to Columbus for Westside, mm-hmm. and I was working in a health club, a corporate fitness center downtown. So it was all gen pop. And I did that for eight years. And then before that, you know, I was a gym manager and basically doing personal training before personal training existed yeah. for, for a while. What year was this? Um, probably 90 oh, is when shit. I came. Yeah. And, I mean, the first time I started training anybody was I worked at a health club in my local town in 86. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so 
Louis starts doing these seminars, and I'm like the the ride around guy, you yeah. know, sort of the demonstration guy. Yeah. And after a while, he just got sick of it. Yeah. You, get, you know, these coaches are stupid, you know. <laughs> so he went do it. So I said, well, you, you you do the, you know. So then I started doing them. But I remember, I think it was at Ball State at the time, he was being Louie, you mm -hmm. know, just going on for like two hours. Mm -hmm. And I grabbed, uh, I was trying to get his attention. Yeah. And like, just give me fucking 10 minutes. People were actually sleeping. Oh. They were on the floor sleeping. Get up. You know, it yeah, was, yeah, there yeah. were the disconnect. He was just, he's in his, he, Louis Louis, right? He's yeah, yeah, in his yeah. Zone. yeah. And so I got his attention and I just really quick on the dry erase board wrote our basic template down, which was in the, one of the original T Nation articles. Like, here's, mm -hmm. here's what we do. Uh -huh. It's like a dynamic day, max effort day is a supplemental, supplemental accessories. Then after I wrote it, I'm like, fuck, this is easier than I thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and yeah. it's then, so after that, he said, you know, just start doing the seminars. And that was the the first part was doing seminars. And he, he was doing consulting work, too. Yeah. So going with him to a lot of the pro teams he was going to. Yeah. And then it was, you know, I was doing that. So you go do this, you know. Yeah. So the, they'd call him. Then he'd have them call me. Then I'd go do that. Mm. And then my wife was training at Westside at the time. And it, I'm also at a point where... There's there's an ad in Powerlifting USA and we're selling like supplements. I don't even know what it was. The seminars or something like that. Mm -hmm. And my wife was bitching to Louie and she yeah. was in the night crew about how she didn't like her job and yeah. whatever it was. And he said, well, why don't you just sell my shit? Mm. You know, and so she asked me and I'm like, well, what shit is he talking about? Because he was selling like a manta ray, um, the, the, uh, belt squat belt. Um, there wasn't a lot of crap, but mm -hmm. we already had stuff. Yeah. You know, there was the seminar and there was like Tribulus or some stupid thing I was selling. <laughs> and so then from there, he gave us whatever that was on consignment. Mm -hmm. So a couple thousand dollars worth of product, which we couldn't have afforded in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still working as a trainer at the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of doing both, going back and forth, moving that stuff. So that's when it that was the physical part of it mm -hmm. while that was happening i was also answering questions for this website called deepsquatter.com okay so when i first got on the internet i mean wow. this is the time i, I nobody had i didn't have a computer it's i'm, I'm out of college right this is fucking, it's yeah it's probably like 98 so yeah, yeah, yeah. my older brother made me a computer it's just oh, regurgitated parts yeah. i get on aol it's just dial up yeah. shit right yeah and i start looking you know powerlifting. and then i yeah. find west side and i'm like and it was not really what we did it was just like a summation of louis articles okay so i think i ended up emailing the guy saying well do you because he was doing a q a yeah i'm like would you like me to answer some of these questions yeah because i'm there yeah, you know yeah, i'm yeah, actually trainer. doing this and i'm actually doing these seminars so that started, and then in one of the seminars, somebody asked me if I had a website. Mm. And I said, no, I have one. And like, no, you don't. You know, it's just like a banner ad. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, here's the uh, yeah. one page and like five products with prices. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, a buddy of mine has this Q&A. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like a forum, but it wasn't a forum. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody just asks the questions, you give the answer, that's it. Gotcha. No forum bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And he needs somebody to help test that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, fuck, I'll do that. I'm kind of doing it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, except I have to send it to email to somebody and it takes mm -hmm. a month, you mm -hmm. know, to get it loaded. So the Elite F 
the Elite FTS site, or at the time the Elite Fitness Systems before it got shortened, mm. was um, just a Q and A. Mm. So people, it was Ask Dave. So they'd ask the question, I'd answer it, and it gets posted. Yeah. That ran for about a year, and then people started asking, where do you get bands? Where do you get these uh, Russian manuals? Where do you get this? Yeah. And so the guy I was working with then, it's still with me now, we put together a cart you know, for those items. Uh And then over a period of uh, probably a year, two years, the, the customers and the people online abbreviated the name to Elite FTS Hmm. because it was easier to write than Elite Fitness Systems. Okay. Okay. So then I'm like, okay, this is, this is way better. It's it's shorter. Did you ever think about doing like EFTS? I did. I did. But I mean, when you start, you don't know shit, you know, it's just like, I, 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 total elite, you know? Yeah. 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 And so it kind of went into that. And then it was when they abbreviated it, it's like, okay, I probably need to trademark this, you know, from all that. But I liked it because the community named it. Mm. You know, I didn't name it. I didn't know until years later I was going to spend the rest of my life saying F is in Frank, T is in Tom, S is in Sam. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's Elite FTS, F is in Frank, T is in Tom. Yeah. And then a few years ago we changed it to F is in uh, uh, Fuck, focus, yeah. T is in trust, S is in strength. It's so it's oh, so ingrained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. You know, for all those other things. That's but funny. That was the start, you yeah. know, and then as it began to grow, mm-hmm. it was more of what is this gonna be a service thing mm-hmm. with the seminars or is it gonna be a product thing? And I kept kind of going back and forth with what this was going to be. And then when I finally arrived at the vision, mm-hmm. you know, the live, learn, pass on, mm-hmm. it was like, I don't want to charge for content. Nobody's mm-hmm. charged me, you know, for everything that I ever learned. It's my, I need to give contribution. Yeah. I need to give back, you know, cause those, how many years in were you when you came to this? Probably one or two. I mean, it was pretty quick because I was right when I decided this is what I was going to do and I wasn't going to be in the gym 10 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as I started to get positive revenue Mm. and I'm talking 500 a month, I am not talking a lot, like 500 a month. I hired the E-Myth Consulting Mm. at that time, which was exactly 500 a month. So I was working to make 500 a month so I could pay them Hmm. the 500 a month. And then that walked me through how to learn business in your business. So it's my degree is in exercise science, nutrition, but I grew up in a family business. So I I was around it. Okay. And I had my mom and dad to answer questions about business. But this provided me, uh, what is the strategic objective? What is the primary aim? What is, you know, the financials, you know, all this gave me, it was a five-year program the way it was set up at the time. Yeah. And it, it, it took me, I, I did it. I finished it. You know, my whole thing was I'm going to finish this damn thing, even though the financial part pissed me off yeah. because we had QuickBooks. Like, why am I yeah. learning all this when QuickBooks does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I kind of <laughs> get it now, but still, <laughs> that was kind of the start in the, the earlier years, but it probably took six years before I could pay myself anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there, yeah, there was a time when, when. 
How were you making money though? You still training? I was still training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was still competing. So there's a lot of things being balanced there too. So I had a beeper, you know, we didn't have cell phones, right? (laughs) So I get a page, you know, like, Oh shit. Somebody called, they're going to want to order something. (laughs) Like every three days I might get a page, like the greatest thing Then I'd have to call them, you know, from the landline back. And that's crazy. The, I, the, I sent out flyers. So I'd make flyers and then send them out to every customer I had. Yeah. And then I was able to get a hold of, I think it was the NSCA mailing list or a coach's mailing list. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't send to everybody because I didn't have enough money. Yeah. You know, so I would just randomly send to as many people as I can. Yeah. Uh, at one point, we had catalogs that I printed off my inkjet <laughs> printer and then it had to fold and staple yeah. and then package and send. And that was a straight mailing. Yeah, it was a bitch. Oh, it was like man. a thousand of those. You look in the stamps and, and shit you, you like that. Stapling them all together. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome, man. When, so like it started to blow up though. You started to, when it was like your first piece of equipment though, like your first actual elite FTS piece of equipment. Okay. Yeah. Part of when Louie pushed the stuff over, he also pushed over all the equipment that he was selling that was not the re actually the reverse hyper too. Yeah. So it was like a power rack, yeah. a power rack, a combo rack, the belt squat, a reverse hyper. Mm-hmm maybe a bench rack there's like five pieces mm-hmm. so the way that that would work is people would order it from me then i would send it. it's so funny i would fax louie yeah right and <laughs> then he would basically take it out of his fax put it back in his fax and send it to the manufacturer yeah and then this went on for a while and then his manufacturer ended up going out of business without telling anybody mm. you know so i have orders out there and six months i'm telling people it was, it was close to six months four to six months i'm telling people i don't know man i don't know i don't know and then I, it ends up that um this go, they go out of business um, and then louis only found out because he drove down there because oh. he had orders too of his own that were going through there yeah, yeah, yeah. that weren't being fulfilled and i already spent the money because mm-hmm. i would leverage that money into books or whatever it was yeah and so now i found out at this time fuck mm-hmm there's a problem Damn. you know i either need to find money real quick or i yeah. need to find somebody to make equipment <laughs> yeah and got a hold of louie and said you know he was looking i'm looking so we're both kind of looking then he basically just found somebody for the reverse hyper and said fuck the other stuff yeah i said well, you're cool if i do this other stuff and i had to go through one two three different manufacturers mm. before i found one yeah. that actually wanted to work with me the problem was see the business model was all education based mm-hmm. but free and then i was going to use the profit from the products to pay for the education yeah the editing staff all that yeah, that was that was the model from the very beginning gotcha and no equipment manufacturer at the time wanted to deal with anybody online Mm. nobody except the the couple of rejects that I found that were they it was a nightmare yeah but got through those and then I found one willing to do it mm. and then it was structured in such a way that you know we're still together now after all these years later yeah. so it's it worked very well and then that was when we went elite FTS on the equipment mm. because before it there was no name even with the west side stuff there was no name on it we just, it wasn't a thing back then yeah, yeah you just yeah. sold the equipment you, nobody ever thought to put a name on it <laughs> yeah. right don't stand yeah and it wasn't yeah. until <clears throat> i started working with the other company down there that we started to brainstorm a little bit more and it's like schools need to brand their school 
Mm. You know, like why can't a high school brand their high school the same way a university does? Mm. You know, why can't a training center yeah. be able to brand their rack the same way a university yeah. does, right? Like a DeFranco, you see the racks, you know, mm-hmm. it's branded, it's mm-hmm. named, you know when you walk in there. Yeah. It's like, we need to do this in a way that they can afford to do, mm-hmm. that's not like contacting somebody that's gonna make all custom shit for a university. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, th- yeah. that came probably, God, I got a th- five years in maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so, f- it's 25 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's so far <laughs> back that it's hard to tell. So, cause I still have, I mean, I the equipment stands the test of time. Oh, it does. You know, are you manufacturing it now all on your own or you still have a company? No, I have somebody cause it's, I can't, the caveat here is I can't afford to do both. Mm. Like if I was to manufacture the equipment, I wouldn't be able to, produce the education yeah that's why you can't find any equipment manufacturers who have free education yeah there's only so much margin that's in that product yeah, right yeah, yeah. so that's kind of the balance with that and the, the deadlift platform that's sitting right there mm-hmm. that was one of the first pieces I ever got that went into the IP national warm-up room oh, probably wow. 20 years ago Wow the power squat machine over there is a, one of the first ones I had in the main one of our main first locations Which one? Uh, the white one that's over there that's 20 years old too oh, shit. and it's gonna be replaced this year I've started to replace some of the older shit like yeah. the leg press was probably 20 years old and it and I, you know I liked I it because I could say you know what this is 20 years old yeah yeah yeah. and i've never done anything to it yeah nothing yeah you know and i got a reverse hyper that's been with me f- since tony oh yeah yeah it's yeah. still sitting in there the one that bolts into the ground yep. yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. that thing will last forever yep. yeah yeah it did yeah it's turned test time that's like the thing is like I, I look in here and i'm like i was telling him it's like a, it's like a a meathead's playground oh yeah you know yeah. it's like uh if i was toys r us again you know what i mean like so much stuff yeah when you when you had this vision, like, did you see this all unfolding? I saw it bigger. Yeah? Yeah. What what stopped it from going that big? Um, margins. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't I didn't factor in logistics. Well not really the logistics. I didn't factor in how much shit you really need to sell mm-hmm. to be able to do what what I wanted to do. Yep. Right. So it's and there's a couple times we kind of got close, you know, when I talk like, like a full content team, like, you know, seven, 10 people just blasting stuff out all the time. Yeah. Um, times we kind of got close when it was all written, mm-hmm. right? Cause now you can, it's, it's, it's different, yeah. you know, when it's, if it's a video, it's, it, it's, it's a different skill set. Sure. You know, it's, it's a little different things. Content's changed a lot in 25 years, Yeah. you know, so <laughs> you gotta be able to, that's a whole nother area you gotta pivot through, Yeah. you know, where YouTube just used to be the way to put a video in an article mm-hmm. and not have to pay the bandwidth of the video because mm-hmm. it was embedded, yeah. you know? So it wasn't <laughs> yeah. until later, that makes sense. you know, and a lot of these things I was too slow. Mm-hmm. Like on YouTube, there were a lot of other people that were monetized. I'm like, what the fuck you need to monetize? I just need it to embed. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even worried about it. Like, why the fuck do I, I don't want people to go to YouTube. Yeah. I want them to become my website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so that that was a little delayed and it changed over the years too. For sure, yeah. yeah. What's, so right now, your focus is on only product, but we're still doing a lot of content. So your content, the product is getting, uh, is helping the content, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Without the product, there's no content. Yeah. You know, so that's now we do, 
monetize YouTube, which I didn't do before. Mm. You know, we have sponsors for the podcast. So we now are starting to monetize content to help offset yeah. cost of the content. Cause I had to, the margins again, you know, shipping prices are through the roof. So I got to absorb some of the shipping, yeah. you know, so it was, it's, it's, it's a balance. It's a constant shuffle mm. to be able to balance through there mm. where it's, in hindsight, I should have monetized content as soon as I could. Mm -hmm. Not not the way people would think, but like the YouTube stuff, like yep. the low hanging, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. Should have monetized that. Mm -hmm. Podcast, obviously, sponsorship, everything yes. else too as well that helps. Yes, yeah. yes. When um, so grand goals, vision wise, are you looking to scale to sell, or are you keeping this together? all the way through that changes mm -hmm. like um, obviously the, the simple answer is I'm always building to sell right because that's the f that's the one metric I watch since I learned business yeah what is what is the company worth what is its valuation yeah at the end of every year is that moving in a positive direction because anything else that happens under that mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say it's not relevant but it has to feed into what that is what's your goal for uh, I would say per, you know your your evaluation percentages every year increasing percentages is it 20% increase. Fuck, I don't, as long as it goes up, man, it's like a, to, it's like a total. <laughs> For real? I, yeah, I've been doing this yeah. so long, man, that, yeah. you know, I can look at gross sales, you know, and that's, that changes because that can go up, but the profit's down, yeah. you know, so as long as I, I try to beat year prior, mm -hmm. that's where I focus the most yeah. because it's, it's, that's fucking harder to do than people think it is. It is I've never had, outside of like the, maybe the first year, I've never had a year where we grew by more than 10%. Mm -hmm. That's standard though. Yeah. That's I mean, actually good though. Very slow some, chipping some, away. Some are low, low, like yeah. they lose money. Uh, I had yeah. years that we went down, yeah. you know, three years that go down. There's like, fuck, we need to bring it back up. Yeah. You know, to be able to, you know, kind of go into there. Okay. Here's an interesting thing. When it went down, what was your immediate response to bring it back up? What first off, what months were down, mm -hmm. right? Because with their seasonality. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the winter months, it's you know smaller items mm -hmm. you know, it's holidays gotcha. uh, t-shirts fans shit you're gonna buy for gifts yeah will happen and schools are not and a lot of training centers don't buy equipment at the end of the year yeah they're out of money yeah true right and budgets get reestablished at the beginning of the year yeah. so like what months were off and then from there i can see what what categories mm -hmm. are off and then why is the category off? Mm -hmm. Is it because there's not enough new items? Is it because we're carrying too many items mm -hmm. and the inventory is so high that it's hurting? Mm -hmm. You know, because everything that's sitting in the warehouse is money that's not in the bank. Yeah. Right. So sometimes you got to move that money from the warehouse into the bank, which yeah. is a sale or clearance, For stuff sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's the first thing is, is what's, what's not working, mm -hmm. right? from big picture then why is it not is it marketing you know where is then who knows right because there's so many things that feed into marketing mm -hmm. that it's ridiculous mm -hmm. you know and do you have anything do you have anybody that helps you investigate that mm-hmm yeah mm -hmm. yes and that's a tricky one too especially when you're online right because yeah. everybody's a fucking facebook marketing adwords specialist yeah. right until you ask for a, a or the 
Oh God, what was the other one? The reverse targeting. Yeah. Reverse targeting ads. They're yeah, all yeah, specialists, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And they'll all take your money and then when you prove when you ask them to validate the ROI mm-hmm. And they do, but then your monthly sales are not higher. Mm. They're just taking credit for sales you would have already had. Yeah. So that's it's a, that's a difficult. You did nothing. By yes. Life. Yeah. That's a you difficult domain to, to navigate. That's unfortunately I've ran through a lot of marketing teams like that. Yes. It's it's very hard because you need to, you have to keep yourself very smart with yeah. what's going on because you have to be able to validate their ROI. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because they're always going to be positive. Well, that was the thing I was talking about is like being competent in all these different things. Yeah. You know, it's like I know marketing sales, you know, making sure that we have customer service on point, making sure that, you know, management is there, the operating services, making making sure you have a standard SOP and everything is on point daily. Mm Mm-hmm. If you are not in it or you haven't done it or you just aren't competent in it, things can get pulled over your head. Every, yeah, daily. I mean, we're, I'm still, I would love to get to a point where I don't have to worry about these things daily. Yeah, like yeah. daily sales matter yeah. for us. It matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it matters a lot because mm-hmm. that can be, you know, the, the website went down. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay. And, you know, I get notifications, but sometimes you don't. You know, it's just, damn. Yeah, the website yeah. goes down. It can go down. I mean, anything that's, can happen. I, yeah, right? that's true. It's business. It's just that sucks, man. Yeah, like, you name anything, it's happened to me. Well, I have, you know, I have several programs out. And yeah, they all have landing pages. Yeah, and so like you'll have my have my basic my my general website, and then you click links, and then yeah. you go to like yeah. a click funnel, and then some of those sites will be down. Yep, and then I'll find out through people just dming me yep. like yo bro listen i'm like yeah. all right it's motherfucker ain't it yeah you know so it's so on on the, like the main page and stuff like that we have alerts mm. set up that it goes down i'll get a text nice you know, or the the guy that does the website will do a text but yeah. i still or we still as a team mm-hmm. manually need to go through and like click the education page mm-hmm. click the podcast page yeah. is it working is it mm-hmm. feeding you know that's that's you are we're all dealing with the same shit with that and that's like you go through that is that a weekly meeting that you go through where you're sitting down with the i'll team? meet with them weekly but yeah. When let's so let's I'll do like the content and I do I have many indicators right so yeah. if I'm doing the content indicators, as I'm going through and filling the, the that K, those KSIs out, I'm clicking on those pages, mm-hmm. right? And granted, that's just once a week, but that's really too late. But any of the any of the big shit, I'll probably know beforehand because somebody will DM me mm-hmm. or they'll call or say something, you know. So there is that. The store is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. The store is actually very solid, you that's know. Good. So that's 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 pretty pretty we have security based around this thing like a motherfucker my guy is the most paranoid person you've ever met in your entire <laughs> that's life that's good it, it is good yeah, but it, it, it it's very frustrating because yeah. it slows things for sure yeah. as far as moving forward mm. like way down mm. he won't let anybody else on this fucking site you yeah, know it's yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of things that it's good mm. right because i it, it, i when you go down for a few hours, man, it hurts. Yeah. You know, it, it hurts, especially if it's like Black Friday. It can fucking really hurt. You yeah, know, so stuff imagine. like that. Yeah. So biggest probably that plus what uh it's, it wouldn't be Christmas, but what would be your other biggest day? Sales? Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cyber That's Monday is usually bigger than Black Friday. Yeah. But any of that month in November, you know, it all matters. Yeah. The um Every, actually, every fucking day matters. You know, I, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, it does. But For those sure. matter the most. 
we don't have to get into numbers. Yeah. Um, but what would you what would you say was your biggest what's your biggest KPI from the product side? What are you looking at on that end? Two, there's essentially two businesses here. Yeah. Right. So there's what my sales reps do, mm-hmm. which is going to come through purchase orders and quotes. Mm-hmm. That's about 51% of the sales. Mm-hmm. And that's equipment. But, you know, if, if you're ordering for a gym, it could, you could be putting chains in there. You could be putting yeah. accessories. Yeah, yeah. There's other things that I'll can fall in there. Thing. But majority is the equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, the other batch is coming through the website, mm-hmm. which is the accessories. Yeah. When you start to deal with whatever comes through the fucking t-shirt thing on youtube i don't even know the name of it right like teespring or whatever the fuck we use oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the amazon sales that, that shit's so low it's not even worth paying attention to <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know it, it doesn't even there's something like that it, it, yeah it, it doesn't matter it's just sure. there um now the hope is you you, you think when you're setting it up this is gonna be awesome right and it's like fuck it's terrible oh man i had plenty of those yes plenty like those. ebooks that we have on amazon or yeah. apple don't do for shit either i'm pretty sure that's all over now yeah at this point oh yeah i think so yeah yep no, what about um articles still relevant mm-hmm yep. yeah it's it's a different you can when, the, it's not the for a while it went from like the longer form articles to the blogs now it's like medium form mm-hmm. articles but I don't think those are ever going to go away yeah it, because there's years ago with with the site it used to be if you had an author there's the credibility factor mm-hmm. where if they if they were a coach and then they wrote the article that solidified that they knew what they were doing mm-hmm. because you could see they know yeah. what they're doing you know, but if they were a coach, then they had a training log mm-hmm. and they were competitive. You could see they know what they're doing. They're practicing what they're So there's like a trifecta yeah. that would help with the team members that we had at the time. The Facebook essentially killed the coaching logs, mm-hmm. right? Because the, just, they just post on there. Yeah. And then Instagram essentially killed the training logs mm-hmm. because it's easier to follow the lifters just on Instagram. Sense. The articles, there's been nothing that came around to kind of wipe that out. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube and long form podcasts okay. have, have grown. You know, sure. that, that, that's the podcast is more than I thought it was going to be as far as yeah you, you're content. going harder now well it's it's when you see these other pieces of context we got like a million pages of content yeah fade away because of social you know the the training logs and yeah. blogs is like what's what's gonna replace that mm-hmm. like what's gonna go there mm-hmm. it's like wow fucking no like youtube it can't just be youtube mm-hmm. and it can't just be fucking shorts and reels mm-hmm. like it can't be micro blogs on instagram like what else like what's gonna fit that bigger long form article mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm. you know and the podcast did yep. and what's gonna fit the piece that's gonna allow us to showcase other people as the articles did, the coaches do, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. Because I don't want the brand to ever completely be about me. Because if we're talking about valuation, now we're talking about lowering my valuation. Yep. You know, yep. so there's got to be other. That's other what people. I was saying. Like, do you see yourself as the face of Elite FTS? It can be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've consciously over the years tried to, if I felt that was becoming too big, I would pull myself out of all content. Mm -hmm. You know, so if the articles became, my articles were always the best articles, I quit writing. Mm -hmm. If my training log became the best training log, I quit posting it. Mm -hmm. You know, that way the other people can be pushed forward, yep. you know, with, with that intent. Yep, similar. Yes. Similar to what yes. I'm doing now. Now the podcast, it's, it's, it's different because mm -hmm. while they're listening to me every single week, I'm... We're talking about you, yeah, yeah. right? So same you're the focus. Yeah, it's the same with me. Yeah. With the podcast, it's like it gives me another, it's another stream uh, of content that we can utilize and, and again, showcase yeah. individuals that I like to talk to. Yes. You know, like we can sit here, I can have my podcast right now. Yeah. We could do this a whole another yeah. two, yeah. three hours, <laughs> you know, and we, we will do it. I'll come out here. We'll yeah, do, we'll yeah. Do one no, that'd be great. Too. But like, yeah, I think that one you're giving out quality content is free content for that you know people don't have to pay for it they can show support you know all of yeah. that good stuff we can get the sponsors involved but it's a commitment and i think that was one thing that i forgot to say was like i'm heavy into podcasts now yeah you know i'm i'm like building out a full studio mm -hmm. you know and i'm doing it to where even even like renting out the space for others to come in and podcast in my space mm -hmm. you know so i'm creating another business on the side that is still correlated with the strong mm -hmm. and it's just the strong productions as opposed to the strong training there's a lot of people that could use a studio to be able to do it oh absolutely and and it's like local even local gym other local gyms i'm like yo come through yeah it's fine whatever. yeah you know or, or companies that we work with businesses across the street that we work with that like need that content they need that marketing yeah and they're like oh here use my mm -hmm. guy Mm -hmm. Might as well. We have everything here. You just pay for the, you know, the studio space, pay mm -hmm. for the time, and we're good. Mm -hmm. And we can all help each other, and that's cross-promoting. Yep. So now, you know, we get we get support from local businesses. That's the biggest thing now. It's like I've been able to, like, get myself world-renowned, like, known worldwide in a sense. I'm looking to go back into my community and bring it down and condense it so that I can work with my local people and help the community out like i'm still i'm back in deerfield mm -hmm. right i i was in boca for a little bit and i saw this place open up and i was like this is right near my old neighborhood i was like i'm i'm doing this right here and it's not the greatest neighborhood it's in a good spot it's in a brand new shopping plaza which this is the first time i've been in a shopping plaza I've always been in a warehouse mm -hmm. so i'm like getting foot traffic out the ass it's weird mm -hmm. right and i go <laughs> i go i want to take this whole space over and I want to create an opportunity for the kids to come in here that are going to be in a positive environment as opposed to going out there and doing dumb shit like I used to do. Mm -hmm. There was a kid the other day. It was like tragedy, man. Like kids get shot out there every day in the, in the football field that I used to play on right in the back of my gym right now. And I go, there's got to be a better way. So I'm trying, I'm coming up and trying to put a space in there for those kids to just come in and train and be a part of something that's a little bit more positive you yeah. know, a lot more positive than what they're getting you know and then they walk in and they got Timbal in there they got you know NBA players in there they got UFC fighters yeah. in there and they're like damn these guys are getting after it in a positive environment and it's getting me out of the streets yeah it's giving me something to do instead of smoking weed and doing dumb shit no that's freaking awesome yeah so i got this i got this charity that i'm trying to open up it's it's been like two years in the making but it's called warrior shepherds so it's for the disadvantaged youth we're going to do mentorship we're going to do fitness we're going to do um financial literacy too as well teach them how to like save their money teach them how to invest teach them how to monetize their all their all their assets and and also content creation like 
these kids want to do it, fine. Let's teach them the right yeah, way. Let's yeah. teach them how to do things that are going to be beneficial and give high value as opposed to just dumb stuff. Yeah. Because, I mean, entertainment is good. It's It, it kind of distracts you. But there's no higher value than at least giving some information out there. And you know this. No, well, they're going to do it anyhow. They're going to do it. Yeah. It's going to happen. It happens organically in a lot of ways, too, as well. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, I like the term infotainment. You know, like I'm still giving you some quality advice, some information, and I'm, and I'm making it entertaining in the same same mm -hmm. realm. So that's where like you can merge the two, because I'm I'm now I'm transitioning. Like I'm, it's funny because we come up in an era, especially with me and like the hip hop culture is like, I still listen to some of the stuff that my daughters listen to, mm -hmm. whereas like. You know, I still listen to old school, like uh, everything, country, whatever. I'm I'm eclectic in a sense, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But like, my parents were listening to what I was listening to when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. My 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 wife listens to the music that my daughters listen to, or my son likes. It's just a different, I guess, hip hop culture changed everything. Yeah. And so it's it transitioned into everything that we do, TikTok, you know, Instagram, everything. And so we have to adapt with the time. So with these kids coming in, like if I bring Timbaland in, they probably don't know who Tim is, obviously, yeah. but they know who he's worked with. And I bring these other young rappers that come in here that want to get a workout in. They're like, man, that's such and such. That's a good thing because then they can, they can communicate that with me. Mm -hmm. We can connect. Like it's just another level of What's the word I'm looking for? It's another level of um, connection that I can get with them as opposed to just being like reprimanding them or telling them what to do and all that. I could be like, yo, you catch the game last night or you watch that concert or, you know, something that's going to involve them getting more energy out of me. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, he's cool. I like him. And then he also teaches me stuff, right? So, like, he's nice. He understands where I'm from. He's from where I'm from, and he's giving me some some quality advice. That resonates with a lot of young athletes, so a lot of young people, because they gotta know that they gotta know that you know where they've been and what they have to go through. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with the fighters, is because I've been able to connect with the fighters because I've been in it. I weight cut it. I've I fought before. I know how it feels. So they have to connect with that. And a lot of guys that'll come in outside of the neighborhood, they try to come in and they try to help. Kids don't take to him because they're like, I can't relate to this guy. I don't even know who he is. He doesn't know how I feel. He doesn't know what I go through. But I do. So it's a better connection that way. So hopefully we put them kids on the right path, you know, and we have more successful people coming out of that neighborhood as opposed to failures. I believe there will be. I appreciate it. Yeah, out of everything that you were talking about today, you were most excited talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so lean into that. Yeah. You know, which I think you're already doing anyhow. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's, I mean, because there's a higher level of purpose, you know. Um, we talked about, like, you know, when you're like, what was your most proudest moment? Yeah. Know, in a sense, like, really, it's like, it's not yet there yet. You know, I know it's coming, mm -hmm. but it's not there. Mm-hmm. Like, the moment I can really solidify a positive position in the, in the world that I, grew up, that I grew up in and came from, that's really the end goal, you know? Because I can do things in different... I've, like I said, I'm, I'm going to Spain next... in two months. And I've been in certain areas, and I, and I want to help people that don't have the ability to help themselves. Mm -hmm. And so for that, I've been able to put myself in a position to do so. 
And I think when, when God is ready, he'll put me in an ultimate position to help as many people as possible. Right now, I got to start small and grow from there. Mm-hmm. You know, and in due time, and it's, it's all um, based on my readiness. And it's not on me, it's, it's, it's on a higher power. So we'll just wait and see what's up. Yeah. I'll just stay the course. What, where do you want people to contact you? Um, Instagram is uh, easiest to find me. So at DeRueStrong. My website's DeRueStrong.com. And uh, every other platform. So Twitter is DeRueStrong. Um, and my YouTube channel, Phil DeRueStrong. That's easy to do when you start early, right? Yeah. You can get it across all platforms. All the boards. Yeah, I'm yeah. Taking it over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming out. Man, it's Man, been an honor. All the links are in the bio. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. This was a great time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And guys, we're out. All right.